may need to cut that bit. If Chris or. Clark wasn't horrific at most things, that'd be good. Yeah. And then you heard, the, then I heard this noise in later years. It was a karma train, right? Don't do an injury here. Oh, we've got no insurance cover, mate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you'd probably be in with the shot, actually. You know, this one was a lefty, and that one was a righty, and that one was a chicken wing, and all that sort of shit. So, kind of case of. They ask for volunteers and everyone steps back. Look at our podcaster. <laughs> you know, the jobs over there are a lot bigger. Then you're bringing everyone together. Sometimes they do need it, Kevin. A lot of the time they need it. <laughs> Episode. We've cracked. Episode 40. Before zero, Clarky. 40. Yep. It's a few. Blood, sweat, and beers. Yeah, pretty much. Blood, Go on. Blood, sweat, and beers. So we've got, the, we've got the normal lineup, but it's a bit more cosy in here tonight. It's, I think it's the we've hit forty episodes, and it's the first time we've ever had a guest in the actual shed itself. But the number forty is significant too, because that was such a long time ago in terms of your birthdays. Like that's a long time. So anyway, I just thought like a couple of years. It's quite important to point that, that out. Far ago, Michael. Thank you. We've very got much. An, and we've actually inherited another boomer. <laughs> Just couldn't help yourself, could you, Mick? Couldn't fucking help yourself. So, without further ado, we're just going to hand it straight over, and we have got one Kevin Harkins in the shed with us tonight. How fucking good's that? Welcome, Kev. Thank you, gentlemen. So, I know that you've been dying to get on, Kev. Um, no, that's a lie. Kev's going to try and play it fucking cool and say that he was hassled into it and all that, but he, he has previously asked, why don't you get me on? That is a fucking stone I'm not sure you cold understand fact. how this works, Kev. We lie and then you back up our lies. <laughs> that's a lie, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, it's not off to a good start, I must admit, but anyway. Kevin. Yes, Welcome Thanks in. for uh, coming into the shed tonight to talk some shit, drink some beers. For those of you that don't know who Kevin is, Kevin was the organiser that first signed me up to the ETU as a first-year apprentice down here in Tassie. Is that right? Yep, came in, did a TAFE visit, had a chat to us all about um, why we should join the union. Um, Fucked. And for whatever reason... Um, he managed to convince me and I joined up. And the rest is history, as they say. Here we are, what, 17 years later? It's been a while. Were you in the same class as Mark Chandler? Yes, yeah. I was. That was my greatest victory. <laughs> <laughs> His mother went off her fucking nut. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, he worked yeah. for his dad. Right. Yeah. He joined Fuck. the union. Yeah. yeah, right. Fuck. Mind you, he was on the first year membership rate for about eight years, I think, because he never progressed past. Yeah, right. He, he took a while to finish his it was. <laughs> it was a while before he got his ticket. That's um. That's quite a similar story to myself, Chris. I remember meeting Kevin down on the airport job. I was on with BSH at the time, heard some very loud noises coming towards me for another room, and then Kev appeared, and I didn't really have too many options other than to join the union on that day and it's been happiness ever since so thank you mate that was absolutely beautiful well, look at you you've risen to the top hey Fucking boss. anointed absolutely <laughs> so it sounds like kev's main claim to fame was signing up a couple of first year apprentices is that right kev well, if you get them when they're first years, as the Catholics would say, you've got them for life. So <laughs> what can I say? You're still a member, are you? Yeah, and so is he. So there's a 100% strike rate from all those in this room. Yeah. So, yep. so you know, got to be pretty happy about that, don't you? Mm. But, no, the union was in a bit of a mess way back then, to be honest. It had just gone through a pretty rough period, the ETU. It went from being the ETU, Tassie branch, to 
the ETU Southern States branch, which was Vic Taz, of course, and then it became the CEPU, and then it became the Tassie branch again because there was a bit of a dispute uh, between a couple of the uh, players within the Victorian branch. So, mm. But I remember coming here and having, uh, as a secretary, having 1,300 members, and by the time we got rid of all the people that had horrendous uh, bills, some of them, you know, 1,000, I think there was even a couple in the graveyard, we ended up having about 900 financial members. So that's, that was the starting point. But you got to... time... When are you, to what sort of year are you talking? When oh, you, 2000. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah right, 2000. Yeah. Came across in 99 for six months or three months. I can't remember, whatever. But came back in January in 2000, got anointed as a secretary. The other bloke got a gifted a job, actually, in the public sector. <laughs> but that's, that's what happens sometimes when you've got a Labor government in place. But they were lovely. They got the, uh, He moved on. He's, as far as I know, he's still there. Does a wonderful job. And then we set about rebuilding the joint. So I came down here first to do a contracting industry agreement because every other state was up and about, of course, to different levels. Victoria's always been the leader, and I don't think anything's much changed there, really. But um, Tassie had a fair bit of catching up to do, but away we went. So a bit of background, Kev. So you're not from Tassie. No, originally New South Wales, actually a little country town on the Murray called Tokemore, and proudly so, love it. But um, it wasn't a rugby place, it was an AFL place. And then, um, then what did I go after that? Oh, I went back to... we. Mum and dad are Scottish immigrants, so we actually, that's where I get my arsehole-nish from. So I went back. <laughs> oh, if you're a Scotsman, all you're going to do is want to fight everyone. I'd suggest that might be a um, bit harsh to Scottish people out there. <laughs> Kev's got his own brand of that on. It's not just a Scott thing. They would all agree, and, and they'd be proud of it. So we went back to, at 16, we went back over to Europe for, I don't know, a year and a half or something, and then uh, came back, landed in Melbourne, in Broadmeadows of all places, and... Um, Spent the next four years living in Broadie and doing my apprenticeship and all the rest of it. And then finished on the 26th of January and on the 28th of February, came to Tasmania for three years, as you do. Most other young blokes went to Western Australia, but I I, lined a, I was working for O'Donnell Griffin, which was old Eldridge Electrical. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yep. So got a gig with, um, with a local branch here and came over here and spent three years and, and then eventually... I met a woman that I ended up marrying, and we were together for twenty years. But that's not not a thing anymore. But had had a wonderful wonderful couple of three years here. It was good. How did you um initially end up deciding to become a Sparky? Um, Dad was an electrician in the in the British Army. Um, he was in the army for well, ten years, I suppose. You know, everyone was back then. Son I think of that's. A sparky. Uh, well, he was. It was different sort of electricians. You know, they like engineering. Oh, they oh, weren't yeah. engineers, but they called them engineers. Yeah, right. Yeah, and. My second eldest brother's an electrician. My third eldest brother's an electrician. Then there's my sister. She's an electrician. And then the next bloke, one up from me, is an electrician. And then I'm an electrician. And one of my nieces is an electrician. And my son's an electrician. There so. you go. Yeah. Isn't that... um? So your parents didn't have a telly in the bedroom by the sounds of it, mate? <laughs> <laughs> no, there was only six kids. He was a good Scotsman. He did his best, you know. But <laughs> King and country. Yeah. I don't think there was a lot of, um, you know, I'm not going to say it. No, no. We'll just leave that alone, but, you know. It's, um, it is funny, that tradition of following in your father's footsteps, and you do see it a lot in the trades. Like, my father was an electrician, I'm a sparky, so is my brother. Like Mark Chandler, who we spoke about at the start, his father was a um, sparky, he's a sparky, so is his brother. It is, um, you do come across it quite often, where... Yeah. Kids just follow in their father's footsteps. None of my kids want a bar of being an electrician, so it stops with me, but maybe it might continue with my brother's young bloke. He might continue the tradition of a clerk being an electrician, but I don't know. Do you know what I wish 
went down through families um, a lot like your tradition of employment, mm. unionism. Yes. Because the amount of, generationally now you see the amount of kids that aren't in unions because they're not being told even, we know that jobs are changing and insecure employment's everywhere, but clearly people that are union members aren't talking to their kids about joining the union and it's fucking pretty frustrating, I've got to tell you. It's one of the better things out of May Day last weekend, Mick, to be honest, was just the sheer quantity of kids. Like I know we went up to Queensland in 2018 <laughs> On the Gold Coast in particular, like, holy fuck, that was just kids on scooters fucking everywhere. Yeah, so no, I was just, I don't know, I just thought of this May Day was probably the best turn out of um, members bringing their kids along. And if you're going to fucking get kids excited about joining the union, then it's all about jumping castles, getting their face painted and a bit can of soft drink. And if that's enough, once a year, until they start working age, then um, it's certainly a good start because trying to grab them once they hit third or fourth year into their apprenticeship or whatever, with still some workplaces still telling apprentices that they don't actually need to become members, that, you know, they're all covered and they're all sweet. That's still a myth that's just burgeoning out there. So if they know that they don't go to May Day unless they're a member and they love May Day when they're, like, from about six years old, then, fuck, that's got to be a good thing. Absolutely. So, um... When did the um, raging socialism start for you, Kevy? What was the moment? It wasn't. I don't think you were dropped on the head too many times. You are within swinging distance of Mick there, too. By the way, what was the thing? Where did the? He's not very big at the moment either. Yeah, anymore. Yeah, you'd probably be with the shot actually. What? When did it all start for you? Like, obviously, there's probably history through family and so on, but what was the thing that sparked it off and where did it kick off and where did it go? My whole family, a lot of them anyway, construction industry workers, so it's always been strong. Um, but I don't think socialism... There's there's a couple of different things about socialism. There's socialism, a political system, and there's socialism being a good human being. Mm. So the political system, am I a socialist? Well, I don't know, you know. I don't know if I am, but am I am I a socialist as far as outlook about helping people, sharing the love, sharing the you know the good outcomes, making sure people are looked after, you know, absolutely. And we need to try and encourage that more in people and explain to them why it's the case. And we can ourselves can help by passing it on to our kids. My kids, I think, both share that. So, um, but my old man was he came out here as a. 10-pound pom or whatever they want to call it. I think he came out with the Catholics. But anyway. That that was after like the Second World War, wasn't it? Oh, later, in the 50s, 55. But he got a job working for the Department uh, of Interior digging holes, for digging rabbits out of holes. And then he was a farm labourer. So from army in Britain to doing that sort of stuff, was he, he was, I don't ever think he was necessarily a big unionist person, but he's always been or had a social attitude rather than being socialist. He wouldn't have known he was a socialist, but he'd just been a good person looking after other people and all the rest of it. But my whole family, as I say, the the major part of the family are all bricklayers in in Melbourne and um, my brothers are all um, electrician, so they weren't in construction, they were in factories. My second eldest brother, he was a fucking shock and shop steward, the things he used to do to his boss. <laughs> but he ran a fa- he ran a, a highly complex factory where, you know, a little a touch on a relay or something like that can make the fucking thing go backwards. So, uh, to, so, <laughs> yeah. so, so he, had, he had a lovely time, but I don't know, it just, uh, it's just a thing that happens. But we need to, our, our opportunity is to provide that education. I've always thought that a not politics, some politics, but but um, political, non-party political should be taught in schools, and it's not. So, but we've got some responsibility for that, and 
And when I started with the ETU and Tassie, I used to get invited in to talk to the kids at school. Some of the bosses hated it, but I never used to bullshit to them. I, I never used to rave about them. I just mm. used to tell them what I thought was the truth. And th- then when I was a trades hall secretary for four years, I used to get invited everywhere to go and talk to all the colleges and schools, and, and they loved it. I remember going to the school on um, in Austin's Ferry there, the big school, Montrose Bay, yeah. and they said, come out and talk to a class, Kevin. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> so I got out there thinking I was going to talk to 15 kids the whole auditorium I reckon there was fucking 200 kids there and I'm trying to talk to them all and answer all their questions oh mate do you but it was great and I and I loved it if um, you know people love sharing their knowledge so every I don't think anyone doesn't love sharing their knowledge no that's right yeah especially if you know someone's going to fucking benefit from the outcome at the end of it now it's tricky one socialism because it's sort of not that we need to delve into this too much but there's no real uh, lived example where it's positive thing it's usually attached to some sort of level of authoritarianism like if you look at the eastern parts of Europe and into the Soviet Union the communist experiment unfortunately for all its good points sort of ended up in the hands of some pretty horrible fucking people but some sort of countries managed to hang on to some of the progressive things and I always look to the northern European countries you know their schools are good their workers rights are good their encouragement to be in unions and they've got you good working class stories that come out of those sort of places so in australia as we've touched on a few times in here in the shed the fucking we've gotten we haven't got the big battles the big history and a lot of well of all the good stuff we've got it's not actually taught in schools you know like i mean like the good parts of uh, say the eureka stockade and all that sort of stuff it's not taught you know that they only cherry pick out the parts that um, they think it's going to be consumable by the, the people that are coming through and they're not going to radicalise and actually start thinking along the lines of revolutionary politics, you know. I was going to go off on a tangent before, but Kevin already went down there. About, <laughs> First one for the about night. About education and the fact that unionism is not taught in schools. And when you look at what is actually accepted to be part of the curriculum, and I went to a Catholic school yeah. where part of the curriculum is they teach you about Jesus and the Bible and all the rest of it, and that's acceptable. Mm. Um, why isn't it that somehow, somewhere, we could get a subject on unionism and get that as part of the curriculum and start teaching the kids um, about what unionism is, the wins that they've had? Yep. I mean, clearly, those that control the money wouldn't want that to happen because they don't want unhappy slaves that know how to win. <laughs> but surely it's probably an area where we need to start looking at potentially trying to make an impact and if you know if you came out of school when you knew exactly what unionism was you got taught about things like the web doc dispute or um disputes about superannuation or particular strikes cb CB, um and that stuff got taught and you came into the workplace you'd all you'd already be empowered Mm. but it seems though we have to start from scratch which you know isn't an issue if you've got the structures and the delegate structures in place and the you know you rock up and you've got good people but if you rock up in the wrong environment basically all you hear is unions are bad they're dumb don't join them your employer's almost like the headmaster and they can have undue influence on people making a decision that's in their best interest. Education, we need to be thoughtful about the way we go about the education. Just as far as religion goes, and I don't want to, I'm an atheist, because anyone that believes in, you know, a big boat with all the animals on it and all that sort of shit, like you've got to be on some sort of fucking drugs. <laughs> but if, if you, if you, I, I was a Catholic too, got spent six years getting bashed up by the nuns, right? Oh, they were horrible. Uh, yeah, fucking, no one could hit as hard as a nun. But. Um, if you followed Christianity, 
that's socialism. There's no difference. You, you can't argue that it's anything other than socialism. Mm, breaking so, bread. Absolutely. Yeah. So we need to, but we. I think going into a school and beating on about unionism is not the way to go. I actually think we should talk about workers' rights, you know, and then one thing will follow another. We don't have to even mention the word starting with a U, just workers' rights. Talk about what your entitlements are. Talk about if you've got an issue, how to handle it, and all those sorts of things. And as far as socialist political systems go, the best example of success, if you can call it that, is Cuba. Mm. Like, have a look at Cuba. Now, the only reason they're driving around in cars from the 1950s and all the rest of it is because the blockades the US have put on them and other countries doesn't allow them to trade properly and have the wealth that they should otherwise have. But they train more doctors per capita than any other country in the world. And when they've completed their training, they send them out to other countries to provide healthcare and training in those other countries. The ETU in Victoria proudly was part of a campaign to help East Timor um, get its freedom from Indonesia. Huge campaign. That was really fantastic. Construction industry unions again led the charge. And I remember going to East Timor a few years after they actually got their freedom and all the health professionals, if you want to call them that, were all from Cuba. They were all there teaching the local doctors and looking after the local people and all the rest of it. It was great. Mm. And that's continued on too, isn't it? Yeah. Like the, the first plane of doctors that arrived in Italy when they were blowing up with COVID 12 months ago was from Cuba. This that's small right, but you'd island. never hear about it, do you? You never get told about that. Same with the union. You know, here, we, here we go. You fucking did put the mic in front of me. It's not called a Welcome. We ran a campaign. The ETU ran a campaign during the East Timor crisis called Tools for Timor. And we went and put, um, and I ran it, to be honest, and we went and put garbage bins in every wholesaler around Melbourne, not everyone, but most of them, and put a sign up saying, put your secondhand tools that are still usable in these bins. And we filled a container and a half full of tools. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And got them, and they were in the in the car park at the ETU and kept filling it up, filling it up, filling it up for probably six months. And then eventually someone said, you better get the containers out of here. So we locked them all up and they got sent to East Timor. And never read that in the paper because you never do. So uh, Probably something that um, the union movement fails at, and that is sort of... Be too modest. Like you should, you should be celebrating these sort of things and saying, "Look at what we've done. This is who we are, and the types of things that we stand for, and how we want to help." And I'm not sure whether Mick Lynch was part of that campaign or not, but I know that he went to East Timor and helped out. I don't know whether it was rewiring their um, community buildings or whatever. But another unionist that ended up over there helping him out in his own time, out of his own pocket. It's just. Getting back to what you said before about the socialist attitude rather than the political, it's just what what we do. Being a good human, essentially, at the end of the day, yeah, you can put an ism to it or an ist next to it or whatever. Just be a good human to the other good humans. It's one of the probably the most unsaid but focused on mischiefs that's sort of been perpetrated on the public has been to demonise the ideas of socialism. So people universally agree with the ideas that of the system itself like universal health education access to you know certain essential services and everyone says they're great ideas until you actually say the word and say oh that's actually that's socially oh we can't have that that's bullshit that's outrageous so um kev's kev's dead right <laughs> call it whatever you want but still get that message out there you know and i saw uh, poor old kev was getting a tap from one of his mates on facebook today who was Talking about cars, I saw, and then asking Kev about was this before or after he became a commie? So talk, talk about, yeah, yeah, but talk about um, 
you know, touching on ideas that most folks see a word and shit them shit their dacks about, but mm. they have no fucking idea what it actually means, you know? Yeah, it's just good marketing in so many different ways. You think of all the Hollywood movies and all the rest of it that basically paint communism in its worst possible form. You know what I mean? In the di- one where dictatorship mode. Yeah, it yeah. literally is. Sure. Yeah, and it's and it's literally like when it goes dictatorship into a doesn't matter in left or right. A dictatorship's bad um, every day of the week. Yeah, of and we still we've touched on it many times. And Kev's brought up Cuba, and we've touched on that heaps in this potty. Mm. Is a proper socialist democracy has never, apart from sort of Scandinavia, which sort of strays in more into the centre, mm. but real socialism has never been allowed to even breathe, like, freely no. without being subject to sanctions or wars or some other fucking... <laughs> the best example of socialism I reckon I've seen in the last 20 years happened in, here in Australia in the last year and a half. JobKeeper. JobKeeper and, yeah. the, and, and the government spending a lot of money to try and keep all of that afloat, irrespective of the debt level, which is really interesting when you've got a, a government that's usually absolutely against that and a bunch of assholes, but they've come out and they've realised that if they didn't do that, you know, you've got to ask yourself what, what was the reason for it. Well, all their business mates would go broke. Yeah. So, you know, the Jerry Harveys of the world and all that, those sorts of things. But oh, what, um, what the union movement needs to do, and I've had this conversation with Sally McManus a couple of times actually, by either by directly or by Facebook and Messenger, is the language needs to change. So we even we do it now because we're having the discussion about socialism. Pick a new word because socialism demonises being a good person. So that's what it does. It, as soon as you say socialism or communism, it demonises, you know, what it is to I, – I agree with you. If it's a dictatorship, that's no good. But a socialism is a normal person, really. A normal good person is – everyone's a bit of a socialist, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, of course. But we should stop calling it that. And – you, you know, I said, I sent her a message. A rebranding. Pre- oh, care, precarious right. employment. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Just, yeah. It, full, it's like a full-time uh, casual. When you, you yeah, know, yeah like, but when, you're talking, when you're talking yeah. to a worker on a construction site, you know, a scaffold or whatever, it doesn't matter who it is, and he, he go precarious employment, he goes precarious. And what the fuck's that mean? <laughs> you know? And, and I, I wrote to her and said, why don't we just or? start calling it good jobs? Yeah. You know? Yeah, or jobs, or whatever. Yeah. Good jobs. Yeah. What do you want? I want a good job. Everyone wants a good job instead of precarious employment. Like yeah. it's And then r- define what a good job is, yeah. essentially. Yeah. It's, it's a full-time, got your well, sick leave, yeah. got redundancy if it's that type of work. Like it's a short-term jobs, but you're going to flow on, so you've got portable, long service, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. That it is, and the stats. the The other problem is the stats that underpin employment, where you can have an hour's work per week and your class is employed, employed, is of no fucking use. There needs to be another harvester decision, in my view, which is we yeah we reassess what it learning what the fuck it costs to actually live, so you're able to sustain yourself and your mob, and that you know minimum wages. That's all those social systems. It, it? It's not the well. The now, as we, you look at the minimum wage, and they go, "Oh, that's you know a balance between the fucking bosses sucking and the unions or whatever." And the fair work says, "Fuck off." Basically, it's not a real assessment of what it costs because no. look at real estate; it's fucking out of control. Yep. So you go to another sort of harvester decision and say, "What do we want as a country?" You know, we're trying to butcher super, we demonise welfare, but what do we really want? Do you want to have people finishing their working life? And we know the stats on that. That's horrific. But you don't want to have a welfare state. So what are we saying? You starve to death and we don't want to pay your super. Or what is, what is it, you know? it's yeah. The fact that people aren't angry about these issues is a failure of um, people like in uh, leadership positions to connect the issues together, you know? Yeah, but 
Give us, give us a. If you, if you, if you, if you, if you go along and have a look, like we're talking about education, all that. But then you've got the ACT. You putting a claim in for twenty three bucks a week or whatever it was in the in the last wage case. It was announced this week or last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. What 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 are they thinking? Twenty three dollars a week. How does that inspire people? If you want people to have get interested or have a blue, it ain't going to happen for twenty three dollars a week. Oh, extra. Is that what they're going yeah, for? Well, oh, yeah, 25, 23, yeah. something like that. But if you, why are we doing that? And they do it every year, and at the same time, they get half of it or whatever. And go for something decent. Go for something yeah. decent. Yeah. And at least then, if the government arguing against it, at the moment, I, I, would, I don't understand why they couldn't argue for a decent pay increase. Yeah, yeah, and actually define it. You know, like average rent's this, yeah. childcare costs yeah. this, the average yeah. person is this, yeah. therefore they need fucking... Not twenty two dollars minimum wage, That's whatever it. the minimum no, but wage is. As he said, do you harvest yeah. a decision? Yeah, but but the I'm union, get... the union can do the harvested decision. Of course, I remember being a youngster, first year apprentice, being inspired no, he's by. He's almost a boomer. He's just itching to get there. <laughs> Don't deflect your boomerism to me, mate. You can't defer your boomerism. He's close, Neil. They are Real non- close. transferable duties. So close. I remember when I was a first year, such a campaign was run in contracting in Tasmania. And it wasn't a little idea about $23 a week. It was actually an idea about 23%. And Tassie was mm. the lowest paid in Australia and still is on a lot of measures. But... Who was the organiser there and what was that campaign about? Because I remember going on strike as a first-year apprentice and the fucking ABCC got involved and it was all a good time. That sounds like a Dorothy there, Michael. I've ever heard of one. <laughs> no, no, we did that a couple of times. We did it with the contracting industry. Um, again, if you ask the blokes to take action for, you know, two-fifths of fuck all, it ain't going to happen. But if you put it out there and say you can achieve this and here's how you can achieve it and this is what you've got to do and you show them and you prove to them that it's achievable – then they'll have a go and they'll yeah. follow you. So it's about strong leadership, and they did. And we got, no, nah, well, I did, and it cost me my political career, but in hindsight, I'm not regretting that too much. It, it did at the, it stung at the time. I won't bullshit about it. 12 months of fucking misery, but, you know, it could have been either the member of Franklin or a senator, but Kevin Rudd done me over twice. It's always worse than you get done over by your own. But then we ran the same campaign at Aurora as it was, which Taz Networks, same power, same pay. Yeah. And we didn't pick the highest paid guys in the country. We picked, it was interesting, we picked the power industry in Victoria, which were about where we were at, and we put a, a campaign in place. We had, a, I remember, we had a contractor called Tazpole Renewals in the north of the state. They went broke. The government legislation said there needed to be a competitor. I rang up some contacts in the Victorian thing and said, you better get down here and compete. And they were here two weeks later with their trucks and the fucking cherry pickers and all yeah, the rest of it yeah. on Victorian rates of pay. So, and you explain to the blokes here, well, these guys are on Victorian rates of pay doing what you're doing so and haven't gone broke, so what's going on? And they stuck together and they were fantastic. And there was some a group of lead shop stewards, Paul Clancy, Bruce Glan, Gary Laycock, who was the president at the time, yep. Ken Batchy, and uh, and later Todd Lambert. They were the main group, and they led everyone else. There was probably twenty or thirty shop stewards. I found some old photos today, actually, and um, and they led the campaign, and and eventually we got up and we won it. It was great, that's fantastic, mm. yeah. And that's that's um, looking back through history. That has been done several times before. So when Tassie first going, we were trying to for ages. We were trying to find. When Tasmania actually got the ECU formed in Tassie, took a while. We've lost a lot of records and that over the years and that sort of stuff. So when I actually found it on um, 
trove uh, going through the old archives of newspapers and stuff, 1912, they were using a comparison between what a Sparky earned in Tasmania and what a Sparky earned in New South Wales at the time. And I had to double check the figures about three or four times because I just couldn't believe the rate. So in Sydney at the time, they were earning about $60 today's money equivalent a day, right? Which is still not much, but in those times, $60 probably would have gone a long way. Yeah. The equivalent in Tasmania was five, or well, thereabouts, about five bucks a day. So you just can't imagine how that would be. And that was a big argument. That was a big push. And that's where it all sort of come from. But if you're not using a real-world example of what's achievable, then you've sort of got nothing that's attainable. The hourly rates in Tassie at the time when we started that big campaign, I think were like 15 bucks an hour. Jesus. And, and I remember asking Don Bales, BSH, what his charge-out rate was, and it was about 75 an hour. So I rang Peter Williams up in Melbourne, who worked for a big company called Electcraft, which eventually, and he, he had 120, 130 Sparkies, and they eventually became part of the PSG group. And the hourly rate in um, Victoria was like 30 bucks an hour, so it was nearly double. And the charge-out rate was, guess what, 75 bucks an hour. Yeah, right. So, yep. and, you know, no harm to the um, bosses down here. They were making a mozza, and, you know, I'm not going to necessarily ping them about that. They could have been more socialist like and shared the love but they were getting away with it and once we explained that to the blokes the members they got it and away we went there's no uh, they weren't adopting any sort of co-op sort of model there no, give me obviously <laughs> a lot of, um, what do you call it but um pricing going on at the time too. yeah they'd all meet they'd all meet at the same pub for lunch and work out Which who is, was yeah yeah yeah, which is what all the um, successful subcontractors have done for years, whether they'll admit it or not. They all go out for coffee and make sure they've got enough work and don't shit in each other's nest and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so, sounds like a good model. Yeah, well, if we're gonna if you're gonna set the price of labour, you may as well set the price of price in the job as well. Mm. Well, once the price of labour is set, that sort of takes care of itself, really. That's yep. for smart employers. It's yeah. just their few and far between. Mm. In um, Tasmania, <laughs> and it's a global problem. There's not too, there's not too many of them. So um, we mentioned before, Kev, that you signed up, Michael and myself. Um, can you remember who signed you up? Uh, yep. I've, I actually wrote to the Victorian branch a couple of months ago and they sent me over my original form. So it was 1983. It was a bloke called John Giddings, and, um, who was a fantastic man, even though he had a fair few issues. But I remember it's funny how things turned because when I got elected as an organiser in 95, he got the ask because the, the group that were there just weren't doing what they were supposed to do in Melbourne, in Victoria. And I ended up getting him a job down at the Jollymont Rail Yards because where Federation Square is at the moment used to be the Jollymont Rail Yards. Yep. And they built a big platform across all the yards. They had to restructure the way the station worked, move tracks around. And I remember the poor old bastard used to fall over on the rocks all the time. You know, the a ballast, that's what it's called. Yeah, yeah, ballast, yeah. Yeah, it's, but I got him a job down there. He was there for a year and a half, very happy. So, But he was a good man. It was, you know, But he came into our shed. It was uh, O'Donnell Griffin. And there was all the electricians there, and the boss came in with him and said, we need you all to join the union, and every man there joined the union, and I was the first year, and then he came back about two weeks later, and we had an election for a shop steward, and some fuckwit put his hand up. Ah, As a a first year. Oh, fair income. Yeah. Well, but, uh, my next question was going to be: um, Was he a delegate or an organizer, and um, who was your first delegate? But you, were your own first delegate. No, no, no one else did. I've always had a big mouth. I don't mind admitting that. But um, no one else was going to do it. Like it was a, it was a funny old mix because it was in a workshop, and we had every country in the world was represented. I will tell you, mm. and um, 
and I just put my hand up. I didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. And there was no education or anything like that. And I remember going to the boss the first time. This is a good story, right? And <laughs> and um, I remember the bloke's na- the the guy's name that sent me in was Laurie Melconian, who was a fantastic electrician or electrical worker. He sent me in to see the boss, who was Ken Secretan, who reckons we were getting ripped off like a dollar a day or something for some fucking lounge. So, you know, I went there and Ken went off his nut at me. And then... Um, well, it was your fault, essentially, oh, is that what you're well, saying? You know, don't you fucking come in here with that blah, 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 like this? And I said, well, it's either right or it's wrong. Oh, I don't care. You don't come in here. Because I was an apprentice. So, <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, there's, there was a there was a peck and order. Apprentices don't do shit like that. No. <laughs> and, um, you're and, not going to represent and, me, young and, man. <laughs> and then you heard the, then I heard this noise in later years. It was a karma train, right? When they were building, <laughs> when they were, and I like Ken, I like Ken, but they were building the fucking casino, the big casino in Melbourne, and he was in charge of all the electricians, and I got elected as the organiser. Oh, <laughs> no. Here we go. And he comes and he came, I liked him, and we got on okay, right? And he, and he, and I said, you know, I've got to do it to you once. You know, I've got to give you one back, don't you? And he's going, yeah, right, over, right. <laughs> so, so he accepted it, so we did, and then. And then he was right, and we got on fight. So fantastic. <laughs> so moving moving through um, the timeline, Kevy. What before you became an organizer, and we'll talk about recharge and all that in a minute. What was your favourite blue on the tools? No, things things were different because there was none of this um, right of entry or any of that sort of shit. I actually tried to find an agreement today to get because I didn't know how this went to try and get a conversation going. It was a John Holland site of all people. And I've still got a copy of this old agreement. It's got no ticket, no start in it. So, mm. and that was the run of the mill. But probably John, John Holland, and probably um, the the biggest thing I did as a shop steward, I reckon. I did. You do lots of things. Like you have blues on the job. When I was a shop steward on the construction site, we had like three hundred electricians there, and there was a really good network of stewards. And some of them ended up becoming organisers. And, and But you had the same companies on each of the jobs. So when one of the bosses played up on one of the sites, you get smacked at about five different jobs. <laughs> so, so oh, you know, it was a hoot, really, it was. And um, it was an internal union issue when Gary Main, his name was, wanted to be the secretary. And Ron Luckman was the guy that they were trying to knock off. And um, my organiser was a bloke called Graham Baldwin. He rang me on a Sunday night and said that the National Union is going to intervene and they're turning up tomorrow, and I didn't know who he was at the time, but it was Peter Ty was one of the people that were there. And um, and he said, can you organise a crowd? And I said, all right, I'll do my best. And out the out the front in Swanson, <laughs> out the front of Swanson Street, the next morning at about ten o'clock, we had five thousand electricians standing oh, outside. Yeah. Oh yeah, and we marched shit. through Melbourne and picked them picked them up. Mick Montebello was on a job. Adrian McNamara was a shop steward on a job, and we marched up and picked them all up. And because my job, I think, was just about the furthest away, and we had five thousand electricians and blocked the whole fucking street. Fantastic. And and the national, because <laughs> no one likes a national fucking union, do they? Oh, set, 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 Mirzy, we love you, Mirzy. <laughs> and they had to walk through the middle of the crowd. It was fucking, it was hilarious. Po- post-war, the uh, national office goes yeah. all right, it, mate. Yeah, we, no, they do now. Caveat, we love you, Hixie. Quick caveat in there. <laughs> that, that was all um, relative to the ETU, Vic Branch, and national office of the nineties. Really nice. It was all politics. You know, this one was a lefty and that one was a righty and that one was a chicken wing and all that sort of shit. So they didn't want either either to control the joint and. So it's just a battle about that, and the people that wanted to take it over were 
what there's no such thing as oh, hard left's bullshit. It's a bullshit saying. Anyone in Tassie, in, except in Tassie, hate mate. that oh. saying. Except hard left in Tassie, <laughs> and left, and left. If you're trying to get makes me laugh. Uh, so, how did you transition from like delegate to organizer? Like, how did that happen? I went for. I went. Um, as, as you'd find now, if you went to find officials now or good people, it's hard. It's, there's no different in anywhere else. So we had an opportunity after I was a shop steward on a, on a big site and I was, if you want to call it in inverted commas, the leading shop steward in Melbourne that used to piss everyone off. And then the union at the day said they'd look after me. And to be honest, there was a long time I was unemployed. So a long, long time unemployed. And they said, um, is, "Is that because you're black band?" Or? Yeah, black band. Yeah. yeah, black band. And there was we started a group training company up. The union did, which was now called Nika Apprentices, but back then it was something else. And I was the first field officer for the group training company in Melbourne. And there was a big battle to get me that job because Peter Glynn was the boss of Nika at the time, and he hated me. And you know, all the contractors were carrying on. But um, and I had a special project to do, which was find a hundred apprentices jobs which we managed to do in three months, and that's where it started. So I worked for the group scheme for two or three years, and then in 1995, when the when the coup the coup happened, I was asked to go and run as an organiser, so I did. So, what, so, there was a ticket or something, and you uh, ticket, you were on the uh, ticket? Recharge, famous recharge. Ah, yeah, yeah. here we go. Yeah, because yeah, right that that's, that's um, ex-president Kenny Mays was involved in all that. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Ken was a computer geek. He was, uh, he'd done a lot of that sort of stuff. He was wonderful, actually. He was a fucking mad shop steward, too. He worked, <laughs> he, he used to hold one-man protests outside craft down in Pumbelle. <laughs> <laughs> used to get a, one of them boards front and back. Not man, yeah. pack. A sandwich board, man wolf pack. Yeah, but he was... You know, well, you know what Kenny's like. You can only imagine being a boss on the other side of that. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So um, I didn't start any of that. I, I was working at the group scheme, and um, some of the in some of the people that were already organisers within the branch decided that the branch was in such a state that they didn't have a choice. They had to run a ticket. And um, Dean Mile, Morris Graham, and Gavin Marshall were the three main leaders of the group, I suppose. And um, I remember that Dean wasn't going to be the secretary. Morris Graham was actually going to be the secretary. And then because um, they thought Dean would drag more votes, we swapped it around and he ended up running as a secretary. And that was that was the right thing to do because it got the votes in because he was a construction official. So more votes from rank and file members. Rank and file. You'd attract so it's a strange... Well, when you think about um, unions and how they operate... The right wing say union bosses and all these sort of things, but it's actually people that get elected by rank and file members. Absolutely, yeah. All the all, all the all, irrespective of whether it was the recharge team or the incumbents are all elected. But the the elections come around quadrennial elections every four years. Most of the time, it slips through without anyone ever being challenged, yep. uncontested. Yeah, yep. uncontested. But this time, you had a few young fellows that had a bit of go in them. The old guard were more interested in politics than they were in looking after people, so they challenged them. But that's not an exclusive club just to the ETU at the time because we had the recharge election, then we had a second election in the same year, and about a year after that, the AMWU had an election, the CFMEU had an election, the Plumbers Union had an election. So, because as you do, you watch one group be successful and you go, oh, fuck, well, well, let's have a go. So, mm. But the election was a, that was a beauty too. A lot of work, a lot of fucking... A lot of work. Just getting around uh, all the work sites well, and that? Or, no, yeah. stuffing letters and doing, you know, you've got a big membership and never, you've got no money and it's very political. You've got people that want you in and people that don't want you in and 
and the um, postal division of the CEPU at the time were opposed to the recharge team. And and um, one of the tricks, there's a lot of tricks in an election. And one of the tricks was that the day the ballots go out, you you basically follow the uh, electoral commission into the post office because they have, it's not like a post office on the corner, it's a mail centre. And you drop, you watch them drop the the ballots on the conveyor, and you drop your how to vote cards behind them, <laughs> so they all go out on the mixed same in, day, mixed in together. Yeah, yeah oh, right. well, they in bags, but so we did that, and interestingly, a whole bag of our how to, how to vote cards, which were thousands of how to vote cards, got knocked off. And what had happened is the CEPU postal division had arranged one of their people, won't say who it was, you know, I don't know. To pick up the post, Keep pick up out. our stuff, yep. and and hit it away for a couple of days. So when all the ballots hit the houses, we were hoping our hoe to vote cards would follow them. It never happened. So the blokes are going, "Well, I don't know who to vote for." You know, so the how to vote card wasn't there. But you still got up anyway. Um, the recharge. No, because, because well, because of that. It was fucking panic stations, as you can imagine. It was terrible. I remember we were all sitting around in a room. There was about 30 of us and no one even spoke. Mm. It was like being in shock So because you put so much effort into it. But then we, we said, right, oh, let's go. So we got on the phones and all that and ringing and ringing members and telling them what had happened, making sure it got plenty of run in the media and all that sort yeah, of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no yeah. Facebook back then. so oh, of course, yeah. And we got at the end of it, we got a split ticket. So it was half of them and half of us. But we had control of state council. So, so, miraculous slap. People started having accidents when they were mountain climbing, for instance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very, dem- very democratic. But there's a little thing that you can. There's a, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but there's a little thing like you. Uh, you see, you see in Parliament what they do at the moment is I uh, move a motion that the member no longer be heard. Well, there's a thing in in our union anyway. I, I move the motion be put. So that's right. That's exactly what happened. So the organisers that never got elected, and I was one of them, got appointed. The the guys that were on the wrong side of the of history usually ended up working in fucking Nambucca West or whatever it was. So, <laughs> so and then there was another, and then there was a big court challenge, big huge court challenge. We had a, an accountant come in who was a name a bloke called Peter Jess, who you might see on TV now. He's got a bung eye and glasses, and he looks after a lot of the a lot of the AFL players especially at the moment about head injuries and all that. He does all that. And he'd done a report about where all the money had been going. And so there was another election. And I remember, I can't remember the exact date, but it it was 25 years ago last year. And it was just before Christmas because Gavin Marshall, Dean and myself all had all had babies, new babies, within about two weeks of each other, and we won the election. So it was a big couple of weeks. I reckon. Yeah. Fucking hell. And we're all young, so you know I was, yeah. you know, was I bloody thirty something? I don't know. So, um, are you going to go, Michael? Yeah, and you go. I, I suppose we could. Um, this could be a ninety-five hour podcast. It's going to be long. <laughs> when you un- I'm just saying, all that. I'm just letting you know it's going to be long. The um, the we reach- haven't started yet. And the recharge stuff was one of the big flow-ons. Was that members felt that the contracting industry wasn't well represented, generally. So when you have some young up-and-comers that have got a bit of go about them, you don't have right of entry restrictions and all that, and you can, you tee, you can tee off, and yeah. you've got, you know, changes, there's a swing on. That's sort of what happened. So can you tell us about the sort of the lie of the land in the union pre-recharge and then post-recharge and sort of the legacy of that? I think the recharge team invented patent agreements 
because before that, it just wasn't a thing, and it was strategy. So if you want to win, you know, treat it like a battle. If you want to win a war, then you've got to put a plan in place, and we have a plan. We have, we put a plan in place. Yeah. Everyone was part of the plan. Everyone knew what they had to do, and away we went. So I was a CBD organiser, so I had most of the big jobs, and you had a, I had a huge area, CBD, St Kilda Road, South Melbourne, and I had a fucking country run too up the Golden Valley. It was, it was monstrous. Mm. But, you know, we had Mick Montebello, who was a bit mad, but mad in a good way, because <laughs> when, you, when you wanted to fucking annoy someone, he was your man. So, oh, yeah. He was sending the pest. Well, he, he sent in the pest. He he had no he had no feelings. I don't know. And then you had Mizzy, you know, Jeff Hoggy guest. I can't remember who else we had, but Dave was there. There was five or six in the construction industry. But we started, and that's why I ended up coming to Tassie because we'd learnt to put um, patent agreements in place. And then, and so we put a first patent agreement in place. And as much as Dean at the time liked to claim it, it was a mistake. And we put in the agreement that the the agreement would not apply on jobs over 56.2 million. I remember it, 56.2 million. And it got challenged in court and it got upheld, but it was a mistake. And, and I felt a bit sorry at the time for the guy that, you know, God help me, for the employer bloke who was a really good fella called Kevin Cameron, but he'd made the blue and it cost him his job. But it was $56.2 million. And guess who had all the job over $56.2 million? So every time we had one like that, it was agreement free. So you could do what you like. So the next thing was the 36-hour week. And we had the wages and everything set. So they were all in the current agreement that was there. But $56.2 million. We'd just go down there and say, well, all the wages and side allowances and all that's all good. Now we want a 36-hour week. And, you know. Use that leverage on the sites that, yeah, you couldn't. And 56.2 back then, that was a fucking big job. Like Massive. Yeah. yeah. Federation Square was one. Um, I won't tell you who the steward was there, but I had to go down there and nearly tape him to the fucking thing to get him to do what he was told. The football ground, that was the biggest victory, I reckon. Is that That's um, the old Southern Marvel Sand? Or yeah, Colonial, Colonial Stadium, oh. whatever it was oh, called. Oh, okay. So yeah. Just, on, um, yeah, right, just yeah. on a 36-hour week, I did hear a rumour that you were the architect of a 36-hour week and it may have eventuated at a mass meeting at the Collingwood <laughs> Town Hall. Yeah. Can yeah, you tell yeah, us a little had... bit about how that un- unfolded? Oh, well, they were building Colonial Stadium. Kilpatrick Green were the contractor. Jesus. The blokes yeah. were soft, to be honest. So, because you, you think about things, how am I going to do this, right? How am I going to do this? Because if I rely on the guys and the steward on the job at the time, probably wouldn't have happened. But so we went to a mass meeting, which was, I think, was endorsing our next round of agreements. So I can't really remember what the reason for the mass meeting was, but. I got up and yeah, hijacked it, <laughs> hijacked it. I told the boss I'm going to read this resolution out. And he's going, oh, you fucking should have sp- spoken to me before. I said, I don't care, I'm doing it. So we, we stood up and, and, and put bands on the job on conduits in the port. So no conduits in the concrete until we got the 36-hour week up. And if you go there now and you know where to look, I'm sure I couldn't, there's a lot of surface conduits. <laughs> and you can almost see where it disappears into the slab. But that went for about three months. But we we put a ban on it. You know, there was a ban on it for about three months, roughly, you know, as far as I can remember. It was a long yep. time ago. But what we did, you know, all the Kilpatrick green, you know, very distinct mm. green overalls were all sitting there. And the resolution was that no one had put any conduits in the slab at that site until the 36-hour week was up and accepted. And it was a mass meeting decision. So... The Kilpatrick Greens blokes are sitting there thinking, well, I'm not fucking going to go against – you just don't go against a mass meeting decision. No you just way. Don't do it. No. Yeah. Because yeah. then you have all sorts of nasty things. So, And eventually it was a bit of a um, – it wasn't a pure 36-hour week. It was a bit of a 
bastardised, a bastardised sort of thing, which yeah. is what we were getting up around the place. And the, the other construction unions had a different variation. They didn't want to do it strictly as a 36-hour week, you know, every second Monday off. They wanted to do it differently. So, But at the end of the day, that's where we won it, on the on Colonial Stadium, and then it spread everywhere yeah. after that. Yeah, no, it's a good thing. Well, I'm in the lift industry, and it's we've it's sort of one of the things that we hang our hat on is that if you work with one of the big four companies, global companies in Australia, you know, you are on a 36-hour week. Yeah. And that's only been achieved nationally in the last few years mm. when, when Tassie sort of come over the line and we, we got it. It's sort of the story I tell quite proudly when I'm at a pub with other sparkies and all the rest of it who are going for that sort of thing. It's like fucking, it's possible. You know what I mean? Don't dream bigger. You know, what else, what else is, what yeah, else yeah, is There's no point in having a blue for fucking 20 cents, mate. You no, might as well have fucking a way. No, fucking way. No, exactly. $20. Yeah, make so, it reasonable, make it the, solid. Um, the lift industry blokes in Melbourne, they were fucking ruthless, right? Yeah, and, right. <laughs> and they they were really strong. And the AMW, there was a mix. Yep. And that, I reckon they were right up there with a, uh, beside besides another unit, sprinkle fitters, they were worse. But, but yeah. the lift industry blokes, because if you have a building with no lifts in it, like no one wants to rent it off you. Of course, so, yeah. But, and they were really staunch. They were yep. terrific back when I remember it back then. So yeah. I think yeah. a lot of that stuff, when uh, you skip a generation, it's when you got this huge fucking energy uh, off the back of a campaign and then focuses change, when you lose that momentum and the workers don't carry that feel as close to that dispute as they could have been then they get comfy and like when you look at what the unions have created over time we've talked about it heaps which is you end up creating an army of fucking conservative voters because they have good wages and conditions but they've got no idea how it actually happened and what it takes to to defend their position so you, you talk about basically trench warfare like with recharge and there's a lot of other good legendary fucking campaigns that have happened in the last few generations in australia but the amount of workers now that just go oh well fucking you know it's pretty good for me i'm i'm all good jack mm. it's like fuck Mate, I came across a bloke the, the, the other day. The minimum wage is eighteen bucks. How are you going? Yeah, or twenty. What is it? Twenty four for a sparky or twenty five for a sparky? Everything the award rate. So the base <laughs> rate's twenty three and ten. Mm. Like it's it's yeah, not it's fucking not good. real flash. And you know, I came across a sparky the other day. Gone from a family business into one of the bigger contracting companies in Tassie. And I said, so you've joined up and all that. He goes, oh, he goes, I feel like I don't really need to join the union because I've just I've literally gone up eight bucks an hour in pay. And it's like, oh, mate. Have a guess why you've gone up eight bucks an hour in pay and how quickly you realise that if you're not fucking a member and you're not fucking fighting right. in the trenches with the other boys that you're working with, how fucking quickly you'll be spat out the back end, pretty much. Things and, like the um, Scottish Mafia and that, is that anything you want to have a yarn about or is that a little bit... <laughs> <laughs> It's funny. Ooh, so it's like you it's, a lot of squirming in the chair. There, oh, fucking. There's, there's oh. some other um, interesting, aside from good industrial campaigns, there were some really good fucking alliances made in Victoria at the time, Kev. Do you want to talk about any other of, sort of social alliances that you made at the time, mate? Uh, you're talking about the Scottish Mafia? <laughs> no, no. There was uh, obviously uh, the construction industry's always been, there's always been a lot of Europeans in it. We had Grollos, for instance, that were. 98 percent um, italians but we learned to work with them and, got, and just got a question now that you've mentioned grollos yeah there's a rumor getting around that you're a talented singer don't can believe you, anything sean can, lean tells you can you tell us about your favorite song that you sung on a grollos melbourne city square project <laughs> called 
I'm going to fuck your job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was funny as fuck. And, and, and Sean Lean was there. Oh, it was so funny. Yeah. But that was... Um, no, that was a gentle. Well, this is what happened. So why wouldn't I? There was 110 electricians working on the job for a company called HT Wheeler. HT Wheeler went broke and the money disappeared. So the guys, it was, and it doesn't sound like much dough now, but it was like one and a half million dollars or something like that. So as a union official, as an electric, because I'm an electrician, you go and argue with these people about trying to get this money back. And the only way he could do it at the time was to get it out of the builder, which was Grollo. So, and I remember being down there on a Friday afternoon and watching all the HT wheeler, which were white and blue, scissor lifts and all their equipment and everything else. The trucks came in, Grollo trucks came in, picked all this stuff up, all this white and blue stuff, put it on the back of the trucks and took it away. And I, I said, well, what, what are the, how are the blokes going to do the job? Oh, we'll be right, Kevin. Don't you worry about it. Anyway, it came back Monday or Tuesday except it wasn't blue and white anymore. It was all painted purple, the Grollo colour. So, <laughs> so, and they, they knew, they, to be honest, they knew how to play the game, Grollos. And um, we used to work things out. We used to use the electricians and the plumbers to bring the Grollo blokes along. So you'd have a mass meeting on site, and a lot of the Grollo blokes would just nod, and a lot of them didn't even speak English. So when you put things to a ballot, and you were up the front, and you were the one that counted the votes, it always went the way we wanted it to. So, yeah. But this is before Daniel... Oh, before fella. Daniel, yeah. yeah Bruno yeah. and Reno were in charge of the joint. Yeah. And there was a um, – and they were good men. Yeah, you know, yeah, They were good men. Yeah, and I heard there was a bit of a shift. Yeah, yeah. The sun Attitude different, yeah. you know. That's what happens when you're second-generation wealth, mate. Yeah, yeah, Never yeah. had to work for it, just got handed it. Yep. And they had a, um, a HR bloke whose name I can't remember, but he was down the casino too and he used to sit in a darkened shed. And I remember he had uh, – I think it was not a notter, a mongoose. And hey, – and now mongoose and a cobra twisted around each other on his desk, yeah. and went, and dark glasses, and it wouldn't matter. It was dark, and he'd go in, and he was sitting behind. He'd tell you, "What can I do for you?" you know? <laughs> yeah. Make an offer you can't refuse, Doc. <laughs> but that was Sean was the shop steward on the job, and he was a legend. Sean Lean, probably one of the best shop stewards I've ever had, and I had plenty of them. Troy Gray was actually a shop steward of mine for a couple of years. He's but, gone on to big things, I believe. Yeah. The name rings a bell. Yeah. But, um, you seem to have a habit of just finding these people that climb the ladder yeah. and talent. And... Yeah, well. But he was. Um, if we ever write a book, we'll say that Kevin Harkins was created Troy Gray. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Troy's a Geelong boy. He created himself, but he was my shop steward on a. It wasn't a huge job, actually. It was a, a mediocre job on, in Melbourne. In William Street, as I remember it, but me and Sean are riding up in the lift with um, someone. Howard was the was the boss, and riding up in the lift, and and they wouldn't put they wouldn't pay the electricians. They earned him a bucket load of money, and we were singing the song. Oh, I was singing the song, and Sean was just laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and we were talking about how the how, how does the song go, Kevin? Oh, I can't remember, but the hotel would be <laughs> <laughs> the hotel would um, it'd be lit by candlelight, and all would be very romantic place because there'd be no fucking power on there. So. <laughs> Oh, amazing! Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, mate. Yeah. That- the Scottish mafia thing—it's it's an interesting thing too, because and a lot of Scots and Irish in the system, and a lot of them became organisers because they stood up pretty quickly and stood out. And you know that they used to um, have a fair bit of influence. It was never a mafia; it was just obviously a group of people. But they also spent a lot of time fundraising for um, what was it called, Casement Accused, which is a, a support organisation for the Irish at the time, as it was during the Troubles. Late when's that? Late seventies? Oh, that would have. No, 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 no. 
when I was early eighties, nineties. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah right. No, eh? no, they were up and about. No, you're right yeah, we're skipping ahead in the chronography a little bit. Anyway, yeah. go on. Where are we up to, Clark? So we're up to. Um, <laughs> you've done a bit of recharging, uh, Victoria. Got a patent agreement up, and then ended up down in Tassie. Yeah. So you've come down here as an organizer. What was like your first impression when you've come down and you've because you've you'd worked here before previously? Yeah, um, it was all the award back up, then. And you've rocked up um, and gone well, right? I'm here to organize Tassie, and off I go. Well, that was a bit of a, a benefit actually, because a lot of the guys that I met when I worked down here on the tools were still around, so it wasn't totally strange. You know, a few people I knew. So now I got sent down here. It was a national office. Well, a couple of the branches had got together and told the Tasmanian secretary that they needed to do something in construction because I had an affinity with the joint, um, not the least of which my. At the current time, my wife or girlfriend, I can't remember, was from here. No, she was we were married by then. Had a couple of kids. So um, got asked to come back down here. So said, no worries. Thought it was six months. Came back in January, three years. And, of course, the rest is history. So it was to have a look at the union and see what was going on, which was nothing um, at all, actually. And then to put a strategy in place to try and get the construction industry up and about or the contracting industry up and about and you don't always know you're doing this you don't because one of the things that there's a lady called Nicole maybe you've met her she's really good at it is drawing this stuff out of my head because you just think about it and then she'd talk to you and she puts it all up on the whiteboard and then you go and I didn't know I was thinking that right (laughs) and because you're a, a branch you know it was just me I had Kerry Becker who was a wonderful guy he kept going in the little areas, you know, the the mining industry and the metal industry and that sort of thing. He kept going in those areas and was very supportive. He was terrific, but um, he knew the writing was on the wall too, so he eventually pulled the pin. But I concentrated on construction and the power industry, and you put a plan in place. There's no point in trying to do everything in the first round of agreements, and there's a couple of reasons for that. So you need to put your plan in place. And I, I reckon in construction, and it's the same now, Richie will tell you this, it's a 10-year plan. So we've got a 10-year plan of where we want to be in, in that period of time. You can't be in a rush, can you? No, no, you know what I mean? There's, yeah. And there's a few reasons for that. But COVID's knocked us around. We had a good strategy set up last year, good plan in place and all that sort of thing. And the COVID has put the mm. skids under us as well. But there's been some wonderful positives out of the EBA campaign we're running at the moment in the commercial construction sector. And one of those is that I think with the Fairbrother guys, and if they're listening to this, hello, Fairbrother guys, the pennies dropped. And they realised now, and this happened this week, they've realised the power they've actually got. And that's taken a long time to actually say to them, you know, you you have this power if you just stick together. And a lot of that's because... There's no, there literally is no education process other than a workplace education. You know what I mean? Look, I never knew anything about unions until I was an apprentice and I had a pretty solid bunch of guys around me who told the stories, told the war stories. I was in Queensland when I did my apprenticeship and they told the Seaqweb stories and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, well, wouldn't you be a member? You know what I mean? You, yeah. you sort of, um, and then once you remember, then you you kind of understand through various EBA processes how much power you actually have in the discussion. You won't break the company, but you'll at least get no. your fair share. You, no, know you, don't, I mean? you don't want to break the company. You want them to be successful and you want them to yeah. employ more people and right. sign up more members. Yeah. But you've got to... Um, You've got to take, sometimes it takes a little bit longer for some people and some guys get it straight away and understand it. Others, you need to demonstrate it to them. You need Mm. to show them, you know, and and that can be through an an individual exercise. So you've got a guy that's, or girl that's got an issue and you can fix it and you ask them to go and tell their friends 
or it can be through little wins along the way. So if you've got a 10-year plan in place, it's about little wins along the way, yeah, little yeah. victories. Yeah. Not big victories, little victory, little victory, and they go, fuck, this is all right. So COVID's um, fucking been a real thorn oh, in your backside. It's, well, yeah. it's made it difficult because it was awkward. I think for every, all of us, um, you know, most union officials in construction would find it awkward to go to the building sites because of the – you know, the restrictions that were on it and people were concentrating on trying to make a living and, and keep going rather than thinking of other things. But the Fairbrother guys, this you could see the light switch come on. Yeah, it's good, you isn't could. it? Oh, yeah. mate, it's very... Great it's, you it. You're banging your head against a wall and then the light switch comes on yeah. you go, now I know why I do this. Yeah, so. yeah. They're, they're doing your work for you, almost. And, and yeah. everyone will be watching them. Yep. To put that in perspective, Fairbrothers in Tasmania is like the Blue Ribbon Company. They're like the... They win the, all the um, government contracts. Win all the government contracts. Yeah. They're just the poster children for, you know, Tasmanian business success in construction. They've been kissed on the duty for a long time. And though it's a cult of personality, like it's the old footy club analogy. There's a cult of loyalty there. They think the boss is fantastic and it's taken, and hats off to them, the CFME has done a massive amount of work in breaking that doubt and getting people to understand that at the end of the day, if you're applying your labour, there's no loyalty there. You get paid and after the job's finished, you're down the road at some stage anyway. It doesn't matter how much you have a slurp, you're going anyway. I'm not sure whether the penny has dropped for Fairbrother workers outside of southern Tasmania because there was uh, a fair few of them that... Uh, unfortunately are very loyal to the company that got let go recently in other regions of Tasmania that may be a bit north of Hobart. So I'm led to believe some long-term employees that have been there for a long time, very loyal to the logo. Work gets scarce and they end up down the road, which is uh, a situation that we all know potentially could happen in construction. Nature of the beast, isn't it, pretty much? Well, it's just the industry that we work Mm. in. You potentially may work at a, at a company for a long period of time, let's say 10, 15, 20 years. This is why we say be mercenary with your, the value of your labour because it doesn't matter. At the end of the yeah. day, you're, if there's enough of a lull, everyone's down the road. 100%. It doesn't matter if you're the boss's best mate. If they, there's no financial reason to keep you, you're gone. Even and if he's a good bloke and takes you fishing every now and then? Um, <laughs> it seems like a very Tasmanian thing. And even like you still see blokes that will say, oh, yeah, we had a barbecue once a month. And you just go, do some basic maths on the, the cost, cost of, of a the boss putting on a barbecue versus decent wages. There's nothing. There's no relativity there. There's no loyalty. And the, that has been a massive effort. And hats off to the CFMU in Tassie. Fuck, they were up against it because there was literally – there was no bedrock there. They just – started from the ground floor and um, having those initial chats and it was in the early years when I started organising it was pretty fucking brutal and um, it's been a bit of a blessing in the last couple of years when Kevy's come along to put his shoulder to the wheel too. Many of your plaster mates still in Tassie, are they? The the Chinese guys from the, the Royal, are they still here? Or? Yeah, yeah, no, there's, there is a few. And, yeah. and this, this was an interesting comment I heard on the radio yesterday. I can't remember who was talking about it. It must have been the ABC because I don't often listen to anything else. But one of the issues for Tasmania to think about, and I hadn't thought about it, yeah. was because we're a regional area, we get a lot of international workers coming down here. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, because it's seen as probably a better pick than Mildura, I don't know. But that also puts pressure on our housing, yep. on our jobs market, on all sorts of things, and it shouldn't be so. So perhaps Hobart needs to get 
or Tassie needs to be, become not a regional area, but the Chinese guys that worked at the hospital were wonderful. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah They yeah. sat on their bums, and because it's you need to work with inside the difficult laws, we spoke to them about that, and they did not care. They said, we're not moving until we get our money. Yeah. And they okay. sat there until they got sorted, and good luck to them. And, you know, it took a little week or two or something like that, but eventually the local guys came in behind them, which yeah. was great. But the Asian guys down here were terrific, and they're still around. You know, to be, there's no, there's no bullshit involved. They, most of them probably are on ABN now, but I think a lot of plasterers are happy to float in between wages and ABN. It seems to be a real problem. I don't know why they do it, but anyway. Can I also just sort of say there that what it also confronted was the, a lot of closet racism that existed in the industry oh, so yeah. a lot of when workers fly in like at the end of the day you've got a big ruthless mob like john holland that's the bottom of the barrel when it comes to building a hospital it's not you wouldn't be your first pick they find the shoddiest contractors they can because they're the last best bet and these guys held the line and as i understand it kev the chinese guys digging in after one of their comrades busted their leg in pretty foul circumstances was it actually provided, it broke through that sort of veil of racism by shaming our uh, Tassie brethren into action because they couldn't believe that these guys were actually staunch enough to do it. Mm. And that provided a, a useful tool to the CFMEU. Is that, a, is that a fair assessment, mate? That's a fair assessment. It was fantastic. And... Um some of the guys that crossed over from being an electrician for a while to being a plasterer. Um, Absolutely they, outrageous. Oh, they, loved, they loved it. And what are you thinking? Oh, well, we, won't name, we, won't, we won't name names. Won't he won't name. be listening to this anyway. Yeah. But, the, um, the, you know, everything about it was great. Even, you know, they used to bring lunch in for each other and all that sort of stuff, you know, oh, yeah. look after each other. It was great. It was an eye-opener. And while they're um, – I often think about this, right? When you've got your Aussie going, have a look at that, whatever, it doesn't matter what nationality it is over there. You can always like to say to them, how many languages do you speak? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if you know someone from Europe. Oh, you hear everything got six languages. Yeah. So he's got at six, a, five, six. At a six, minimum, uh, they've got three. That's yeah, right. And even, yeah. the, even the um, the guys, you know, the, the Asian guys, they've got their own language and they've got English. So they're yeah. going, that's one better than most Aussies oh, yeah. have got. So, yeah. you know, so they're not unintelligent at all. They just have different upbringings, different culture. And, you know, viva la difference, because otherwise we'd be still be eating. What, what's the Australian national for a fucking meat pie and a can of Coke? So the, oh, the one thing yeah. they are, Kevin, yeah. though, is a worker. And yeah. we've spoken about it um, on this podcast before, and I think we made a reference to Iran once where we have more in common with an electrician in Iran than you do with Scott Morrison. And I think it was when they were starting to ramp up things on Iran, I don't know, when was it, 18 months ago or whatever, and we're it's, saying... It's always look, a hotbed of um, look, look at what's education. going on here. You're either yeah. a worker or you're not, and that's uh, where you need to ground yourself. So we got to the point where um, you'd rocked up down here, you'd had a look at the joint, and you went, well, it's not going real great potentially going to have to organise things and, and look towards a pattern agreement. They're not like things that happen overnight and there's a lot of time and effort that goes in. You've put millions of dollars in workers' pockets over a long period of time through these agreements and these things that you've done, mm. um, to be frank. I and mean, even things like Protect, getting that into agreement where people have been paid income protection where they otherwise wouldn't have got those things if they got, when they got injured outside of work. When you look back on all that body of work and you look at what you've actually achieved, what's probably something you look back on and go, fuck, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. Oh, well, there's, you know, there's, a, there's quite a few things. It's, it's interesting. You forget a lot of the things you do as well because you, it's like it's part of your job, but being a union official is not really a job, is it? It's a, like 
it's a it's a calling or it's a vocation or it's a something so but some of the minor stuff that you might do is most rewarding you know i love talking to the apprentices through unions taz when i was a secretary there i set up worker assist you know so free service for injured workers so in tassie that was pretty good bring and protect was pretty good i thought but getting that set up down here that was um uh, my very good friend david Meir in melbourne came up with protect it was his idea, and a good idea it was too, um, for lots of reasons. So there, there's lots of lots and lots of different things that that you can think of, and a lot of the time you forget about it. But uh, again, um, every time I have a, we I talk to um, there's a couple of friends that I talk to about this sort of stuff on a pretty on a reasonably regular basis, and they remind you of they go, "Oh, what about you done that and you did that?" And I go, oh, "I forgot about that," you know, because mm. you do you Part forget about course. it. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. do, but you forget about it. But the, uh, there was a bloke called Chris Walton that used to work at the ACTU. I think he still does, and he used to come to a lot of education sessions with me. Well, you know, when I was there, and he'd say to me, "You know, why, why do you think the union movement struggles?" And I used to stand up. I thought about it a lot. I didn't say much the first time. And the second time I got there, and, and I, I used to say, lazy fucking organisers, right? And then the next meeting, you go to the next, next education. That could be unpopular and, and, uh, opinion, I imagine. I've never been popular. And the third time I said it, he goes, I know what you think, Kevin. Just shut up, right? But, but you know, people that are not having a go, they're not applying. So if you don't want to do the job, then go and find something else yeah, to do. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, be, it's yeah. pretty hard. It's a hard job, really hard really hard and it can mentally you know fuck you or certainly have an effect anyway but if you're not up for it then go and find a job doing something else no one thinks any worse of you or whatever mm. but you've got to be committed to it and you know at the etu in victoria and it was no different down here you know it costs a lot of money to employ an official and if they're not doing their job then we can't you can't afford to carry people either so you know i don't mind being and i'd say that to any, anyone like i'm not scared mm. never have been but, you know, if you want the union to work successfully, you've got to have people that are going to apply themselves and hopefully have some brains at the end of the day too. Yeah. But um, successful campaigns come from planning, even if it's in your own head. Don't rush off and put a, can- a campaign in place. Think about what you're doing. You know, think about the long term. As you say, you know, there's no such thing as a 12-month campaign. It's got to be over a 10-year period, you know, and, and we're a bit lucky because EBAs are three years. Yeah. So that's, you know, three Four EBAs. Yeah, well, only thing of my own experience in is, is just aligning the two big lift industries in Tassie. Coney, we've been having a crack at this since what 2016, and finally in 2023, uh, we will align within months of each other. So it took a while, but you know, you sort of if you're not constantly at it, then it will never happen. But if you're constantly at it, it might still take almost nine years to get there. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, yeah you but, get there. Yeah. But, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. No, of course you not. Know, it's yeah. actually fantastic because you're bringing more members along with you, educating them on the way. Hopefully, you're engaging them. Hopefully, yeah. they don't drop off. I tell you what, we walk past that. Me and Mick walk past that one in Sydney, the um, Bar- Barangaroo. The, the casino they can't holy open. Holy fuck, man. If, if you've ever – you seen that one, um, Kevin? No, I haven't. Barangaroo. Yeah, she was pretty – it's pretty fucking amazing. Like, you really wonder – the bottom of the food chain. I don't get to travel much these days. Oh, are you? No, yeah. Don't go you don't go to conferences or anything? No, no, like no. no, no. no. I'm, not, I'm not interested. I'm yeah. on the DBMC, it's called, which is State Council. Yep. So you zoom in. No. no. Told everyone to get fucked. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, and if it's another worth thing saying, in, it's worth uh, saying. No, another know? thing. No, yeah. it's not. But another thing in Tassie that I thought was really productive was 
it was called Taz or VicTech at the time, which was a group training company, which was fifty percent owned by the ETU and fifty percent by the employers. I think Nika. And um, and the, a bloke down here called Robert Stops, who worked for Aurora, who was their training manager, had been trying for years to get a group training company up. And I said to him, "Have I got a deal for you?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so we set up um, a group training company. We called it Taz Tech, but it was part of part of Vic Tech. And we were going through the EBA campaign at Aurora, and the guys agreed to give up roughly one percent pay increase in the first year. I think it was of their EBA if the company guaranteed 25 apprentices a year for the three years of the agreement. Yeah, oh, yeah. fuck, that's so, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So we had 25 kids, uh, young people, and we weren't always kids, each year for them three years, and that got the group training company up and about. And then they employed uh, Andrew Harris, who you may well know, and he, he did a good job going around the contractors and getting them engaged as well. And the, I remember it, the group training company had, had bloody 100 kids working for it at one time but the useful part about that from the union's point of view is we could get access to them yes and when they started with taz tech and aurora guess who turned up at their inductions and talked to them all and yeah. and yeah, yeah. fucking know. Yeah. and it makes a big difference doesn't it? and mm. every one of the 25 year every one of the 25 intake there was a few more than that actually at aurora every year i can sign the fucking form mate. yeah and just on that kev um <clears throat> that legacy still exists um even though even though um, <laughs> it may not be the same entity that it is at the moment, but those apprentices that still work for the, I think it's Nika now, still get protect income protection, like to this day. So that's a legacy that's lasted through whatever bullshit that's happened through the process of it maybe not being in union hands anymore. But I talk to apprentices about that all the time. We go to workplaces a company like rbd where they hire apprentices from nika that get income protection through protect previous to getting an agreement there their uh, fully qualified tradespeople did not benefit from a scheme like protect which is wow. income protection so it was a good more or less yeah, but the scheme was good because deal. it was trade but it was like if you get a um yeah. Who's another group training company in Tassie? You've got pastry, pastry chefs and work and training, or well, Bigas, or work and training. Spilling you know, pastry now. chefs, all sorts of things. But it was a, it was in the main anyway, um, electrical only. And then we done, we done an agreement for uh, Nearstar as it is now, and the HR manager out there who I got on really well with, he agreed to swap all the apprentices from Nearstar over to Taztec because it was a better scheme. So we got all these kids. <laughs> Yep. from Newstar. So because it was a better scheme, the union would spend time promoting it and trying to make sure that that's where the kids went because you knew they got looked after. Yep. But, you know, now it's Nika. So, you know, I'm not going to promote the fucker. So. No, which we don't. So your story, Kevin, going from apprentice to shop steward is pretty similar to what mine was, probably similar to yours, Mick. No one else sort of was going to put their hand up, um, so I put silly put my hand up and became the delegate at Stowe. Once the delegate that was there that was left, um, it's kind of a case of they ask for volunteers and everyone steps back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like yeah, you're doing it. Um, it's like fine, it's me. What sort of advice would you give to anyone wanting to per, to pursue becoming a delegate before they're actually uh, thrown in the deep end? I know they need to. Um, I think it's a union's responsibility, not just um, individual unions, but as a whole, to educate our shop stewards. 
I think a lot of the training that we provide for our shop stewards, quite honestly, through peak bodies is bullshit. They probably don't need to sit in, sit in a classroom for what they don't need to know all the intricacies of EBAs and awards or any of that. They don't need to know any of that. That's the organizer's role. So, you know, probably a simpler, a, a simpler course about, you know, how to actually talk to the boss, how to talk to the blokes, how to handle a, a, a dispute if it arises in a simple way, you know, and not necessarily confrontational. It's not, you know, that's the organizer's job. Let the organizer be confrontational. And then, you know, because he doesn't work for the boss, so there's no love before it even starts. But so if we could educate, you know, guys, even even if we get a group that are not shop stewards and educate them in those sorts of things, then they may end up saying, I'll be the shop steward because mm. you don't need, you don't, oh, you don't need a yeah. la- you don't need to have a label, do you? Mm. You know, you don't need a label. If if you see a young bloke that's in problem, you know, got problems or something like that, and you stand up for him and you've got the, the education to know how to do that sensibly then, you know, maybe shop stewards will come out of that. I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, rule of averages, isn't it, pretty much, yeah. at the end of the day. Why do you need a shop steward to know about the Fair Work Commission? And you fucking you, it's don't. Bullshit. It's more. It's more yep. about how do you, how do you filter how do you pass in? A fucking, how, when an organiser calls a mass meeting, yeah. how do you make sure it's well attended? Yeah. That's the fucking job of a shop yeah, steward. That, yeah, that, and also covering off on a lot of nonsense questions going to the organiser as yeah. well. It's like a, it's a triage, you know, in a lot of ways. It's, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, you can kind of filter out a lot of the bullshit. You can yeah. deal with stuff in-house, and then when it gets... You know, when you're scratching your head, that's when you ring the organiser yeah, and hopefully absolutely. you learn a couple of questions. When, when I first became a delegate, I had fucking no idea. I'm like, put my hand up. Like, then um, <laughs> people would like ask me questions and then um, I'd ring Mick and go, hey, Mick, got this question. And he'd say to me, um, what's the agreement say? And I'd be like, yeah, I don't know. He's like, probably, <laughs> probably Have a look read your first. agreement <laughs> and then ring me when you've got a question. I was like, right, eh? So that was... um. It sort of put me in the mindset of like it was as a tradesman, as a sparky, of what you expect from uh, an, apprentice. an apprentice. Yeah, yeah. It's don't come to me with a problem without already having a particular solution in mind. Like the apprentice come, coming up to you saying, the light's not working. Yeah. Can you help me? And it's like, <laughs> I'll help you after you fucking give me a bit more info. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. So that sort of um, taught me to not bother ringing any organisers until, as a delegate, not bother ringing any organisers until I'd looked at the agreement, thought about what potentially the issue was and how it could be resolved and tried to sort it, sort it out myself. And then if I ran into a roadblock with management, then ring the organiser and say, hey, this is what's happening. Interesting thing, um, a good a good shop steward, irrespective of which union it's from, a gold. And if I, when I organised in Victoria more than Tassie, but in saying that, the power industry... Uh, Aurora in particular here were the same. If you've got a good shop steward, that means you don't have to go near the joint or rarely have to go near the joint. And one of the things Melbourne does well, from the CFMEU point of view anyway, I'm not sure about the ETU, is put shop stewards on the jobs. And the employers are normally happy to accept that because the shop steward's right there. So if anyone's got an issue, he's right there to fix it. They're putting out fires, aren't they? They put out fires. And if you get a good shop steward, it's as good for the employer as it is for for the union. But, you know, the jobs over there are a lot bigger. So not all sites here would require it. But someone like a Fairbrother, if we use that as as a good example... They could have a shop steward that can go from one side to the other if there's issues, yep. Yep. you know, and do safety inspections. And the other thing um, 
they do them Vickers put safety safety people on the sites and the safety people are while they're the union's pick they also are not scared to pull the blokes in line if they need it so you know because they sometimes they do need it Kevin uh, a lot of the time they need it your own members sometimes can be you know careless to be honest and sometimes they need reminding about the circumstances of doing things wrong or the you know possible outcomes mm. yeah absolutely and then when you look at the construction industry it's high risk yeah. um, multiple deaths be honest, Clarky, what, what trade really isn't high risk potentially if you fucking look for a shortcut? Oh, it's yeah, pretty sure. much all every aspect of it, whether it's service, construction, construction has its own inherent risks just purely by the nature of the, the fact environment. That it's, it's yeah. The environment, yeah, exactly. Deep pits, high elevation, unprotected edges, all that sort yep. of stuff. But it, it's in every workplace. <laughs> Just cherry picking a few fucking high performers there, Michael. <laughs> but you know, like it's yeah, yeah it's what it, it's fucking fucking throwing curveballs as he walks people. out the door to go okay. fucking. Just because you got a cast on your arm. So um, have a discussion about putting together a little training course for people that are interested. Yeah, for well, sure. Well, and actually a, a cross cross union. Because then you're bringing everyone together. It's like, no, 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 these cunts over here, these cunts over here. It's like, hang on a minute, we're all in the same room together. Construction it. I'm not interested in going anywhere. Let's go a bit deep because we love going deep in the shed. We go so deep in the shed. We get half a dozen cans in. Oh, well, not that many. After about one can. We decide to go deep. So, Kevin, we're going to probe. We're going to yeah, probe. probe. So, what would you say would be your biggest failure... As an organiser, and what did you learn from it? Uh, it's funny. It, it never happened. Um, it happened not that long ago. I'll let you know when I failed. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> to, to be honest, uh, no, and to be brutally honest, I've never lost a dispute. I've never lost a dispute. But it depends how you, what you think's a lost dispute. Yeah. But I let myself down a little bit last year, late last year, where I had I was doing an agreement for a company. I won't say who it was, and. And I never read it properly, and I didn't think the blokes would have a go. And I had a meeting with them all, and I had about oh, 10, 10 new blokes join up. I had most of the company. But I didn't think they had it in them, so I didn't have it in me either. And I don't mind admitting it. And um, and they fucking showed me up. So, And once once I knew that it was on, then, uh, then it was right. But I, um, I didn't, you know, I fucking dropped the ball on it a bit. And and I remember what it was about, and I'm not going to go into too much detail because I'll fucking know who it is. But yeah. But they um and they got themselves a three percent increase from the previous year that that I didn't think they they wanted, and I didn't think they had the nuts to stand up and have a go at. To be honest, and they showed me a lesson, and and I'll never fucking make the same mistake again. It's funny the mindset you get in when you think you read the room. You read the room, and you th- and you're thinking, well, this is going to go a certain way. Yeah. And that's and- happened to me recently, where I'm like. A particular company, I'm like, yeah, there's a history here. Mm, it's more than likely going to fucking go this way. Let's save ourselves the pain. Let's put something to the company that's fair and reasonable and more than likely going to be something that we can get up without a lot of bloodshed. Mm. Right? And then putting that to the blokes and then just getting fucking bashed by the blokes. Yeah, and going, <laughs> this is the most, this is outrageous. It's fucking way too conservative. We're ready to take the company on, so on and so forth. And yeah, Nice surprise though. Nice oh, back and end amazing. with a wet fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, it was so good to actually be in that situation where you've sort of looked at a situation and looked at the history and 
thought, well, this is probably going to be the best outcome and we can build, because like you said, Kevin, like, there's a plan, you can't plan like 12 months, two years. It's got to be like a long term. Yeah. Um, but then having people come out of the woodwork and go, nah, we're, we're ready to roll. And you're like, fuck. Ooh, it turns yeah. out you are. Let's fucking go and have a crack. <laughs> already, already have once they've had it. May have been getting yeah. advice from people. <laughs> so changing lanes, another fucking um, fun sport is watching Kevy's Facebook because uh, if there's one bloke that probably maybe mirrors his footy career, not afraid to lead with the tackle with his head, try and run through a pack. Um, it's Kev Harkins putting anything to the left of Genghis Khan on Facebook. Um, I saw a bloke today try and shoot him in the head and try and argue that a six-cylinder EH was somehow a better car than a V8 um, XR Falcon, which I strongly disagree with. But I love it, EHs. No one cares, mate. Shut up. And I used to actually own an EH, but that's fucking just it is wrong. That's so wrong. It is, and it's terrible. But um, anytime, if there's a bloke that's not scared about sticking his head up above the trench to have a bit of a look at what's going on, it's Kev. <laughs> so f- friend him and follow him because you'll have a good time, guaranteed. Anyway, um, another post I followed with great interest was watching Kev put a solidarity post up about um, what's befalling comrades in Palestine and watching the fucking... Um, Dickheads come out of the wood and, and take the Sky News view of that. So um, I was thinking we might change lanes a bit and just bounce the ball on that because it never really goes away. It's never stopped. It's been there since the late 1940s mm. um, after the end of the World War Two. But it's flared up recently and it's fucking absolutely no good. And you've got to start to wonder once you look at the map and what the Gaza Strip actually still is, um, what's there left to bear? So what can the Palestinians actually seed to the Israelis that they're going to be happy with um, and what's going to be the end game. So I thought I might just fucking bounce a ball on that. It's a march to the ocean, isn't it, really, well, I to think be honest? Uh, the, uh, like, greater minds, the mine, have tried to resolve that issue but have never managed. It's not too difficult to um, work out. And before anyone makes comment about the Palestine issue, they should go and spend 10 minutes on Google or Facebook or whatever it's called and actually Google in there and get a bit of the history of it. And you'll probably see why uh, the Palestinian people fighting as hard as they are. I remember in year 11, I was at a school in Broadmeadows in Melbourne called Gagan College. And I met my first Palestinian, um, who was a lovely guy. And he started talking to me about what had gone on. And at the end of the end of uh, at that time, it was the PLO, Palestinian Liberation Army or organisation. Yeah, 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 so, yep. so he used to... Um, Talk to me about his view of about what that meant. So people should go and get himself a little bit educated before they make stupid statements, to be honest, because it's a pretty sensitive issue. And if someone was throwing lots of bombs in my backyard and blowing my house up and killing my kids and, you know, been treating me really poorly for a long time, then you don't have much of a choice. And the biggest issue with these sorts of conflicts is it creates terrorism. So you've got the Palestinian people who've got their back to the wall fighting against the might of the Israel army or the Israelis, which, you know, per capita are probably one of the richest races in the world. And financially um, yeah. backed up uh, as and, well and, by the US. And supported yeah. by the US and yeah. many others. You don't have too many choices. Mm. So your only choice is to revert to terrorist activity to try and make your point. But it's not they're not alone. You know, it happens everywhere if, if you know, these sorts of conflicts have happened over and over and over again for all the 
you know, for years and years, but the Israelis will never win. They're dickheads because they can't win. You can't win against someone that doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> so, exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but people need to um, take a little bit of interest in, if if not only that conflict, then get a bit of an education about it because it's happening everywhere. It's not just it's not just in um, Palestine or in Israel. It's happening in many other countries as well. Yeah, but I really at, feel for them. Look, yeah. at Af- Africa, South America's got a long history of this shit. It's really frustrating. And someone, Kevin, who you might know, who I might be related to, um, <laughs> doesn't mind post, doesn't mind fishing. Post, post some like just fucking just dumb shit and it's embarrassing like is, can't pick is, your family Clark is, Israel <laughs> drops bombs from fucking a great height and demolishes a fucking building and children die and whatever and it's like oh didn't like Hamas fire some rockets it's like let's fucking put shit in perspective like you said get educated on the issues of how this even began um but it takes, it takes, we start, takes years for them to build up a, a weapon arsenal. Sorry to cut you off, man, but it, no, doesn't like it? You know what I mean? Like the, it's just, frust- it's just, it's just <laughs> fucking frustrating, mate. You've if you probably think- made Christmas better this year for that interruption. <laughs> <laughs> it's just frustrating when yep. you think about if someone rocked up, we're here in Tassie, someone rocked up to your house with a fucking gun and said, righto, Get the fuck out of your house. This there's is this now really my, old, this this is really old house. book that says... And the reason why I'm saying it's my house is because I found this book in the library that <laughs> says it was my ancestors said this was my house 2,000 years ago, so you've got to get the fuck out. Mm. Um, and in, in, How would you react? In Tassie, it would be a brown country over yonder signed a declaration saying that that's now ours. So it's... Because yep. that's what happened after World War II. Yeah, 100%. So, um, mad tangent that I was going down with people that I may know that need to fucking do a bit of research and not... A fair bit of religion in it too, I must say. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. like Kevin mentioned before, Catholic school, I went to a Catholic school, I'm an atheist. Most of the cruelest, meanest people that I've ever met are fucking priests and nuns. Um, would and you choke them out? So now with that's, your and that's MMA from my skills, personal experience. Would... And fuck yes, I would love to choke out <laughs> a particular person called Brother... <laughs> Um, yeah. Who was a who right, was a Christian us, brother? So um, walk, walk us through the first round of that fight. So we go full. When I was when I was when I was thirteen, Joe um, Rogan. I feel like Joe. We were on the listen. Yeah. About to give you the rundown of what happened. So when I was thirteen, I was a border at Dominic. Border. Uh, yeah, border, border at Dominic. The reason why I was a border was my brother played a really good hand. So he had a lot of good mates that were borders. And so we lived at New Norfolk and he said to my parents at the time, I want to be a boarder. They said, that's really expensive. He said, yeah, but it'll improve my schoolwork. So he did like a trial as a boarder. Turns out that he fucking worked his ass off and his school marks went through the roofs and they went, fuck, that's a good idea. Chris, you'll follow suit. And I ended up being a boarder as well. That's a so, horrific story so far. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's how I ended up being a boarder. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's about, I think it was by bus, it was probably about, no, relax, I think it was about uh, 40 minutes, 40, 45 minutes, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, so this... Were you all right in there on your own, Bubby? Yeah, no, it was all right. And for those that don't know, um, my nickname is Bubby, and I've had it since um, I was born. Um, and those people that know me um, through my school years, everyone still calls me Bubby, even though I'm 45. Fuck, but I didn't know that, Bubby. Back to the brother. 
story. So a friend and I decided to be a good idea if we wrapped our towels out and had a whipping competition to see who could whip each other with our towels and who would win. I actually ended up winning. He ended up in tears. Oh, mate, brother rocks up, goes, what happens? I'm like, oh, fuck, I don't know. Um, And then old mate spills his guts and then he ended up getting me in some semblance of what would probably be considered like a rear naked choke, um, asking me what happened and blah, blah, blah. And anyway... So it went, full, so went I, full cage fight before yeah, cage went, fighting was went a full, thing. Went full cage fight on me as a 13-year-old with who an adult doing that to me. Who the fuck does that? Like, who the fuck? When I they're end, asking I a end, question, who the fuck does that? So I end, ended up in tears. I was fucking traumatised, rang my parents and said, fucking, this is what happened. He lied his ass off um, when uh, my parents rang the school and said, well, what the fuck's going on here? Why is one of your teachers choking Why out my Why didn't you son? take some selfies while it was happening? Because... Um, <laughs> Because, unfortunately, at that time, Kevin, <laughs> smartphones weren't a thing. Uh, um, cars weren't a thing. And uh, But anyway, like, his excuse was, oh, Chris has been very disruptive and fucking run amok and fucking blah, blah, blah. It was, like, complete out of bullshit. And that would be the person that I would choke out. I can't even remember the original question. <laughs> no, but, but I'd love no, to look on now mate, I, I need more. PTSD. Full, I need full PTSD. MMA rules look. and can't old fucking, you get bashed. <laughs> what what was it? Rear naked choke hold? Is that right? It was a, it was a bastardised version of like a rear naked choke. Like, like with one hand. As as a comrade, I would love to live that experience with you and fucking cheer you on from the sidelines, drink beer and watch you fucking bash some bloke that did the fucking wrong thing. A brother. That would really fucking warm my cockles, mate. It'd, it'd be a good thing um, If I own personal growth. Yes, and uh, <laughs> let's let's not fucking write it off. It's the the night is young, and you were all still pretty young, even though you're boomers. We uh, <laughs> might yet get that chance. It's an old joke, but that's fine. We'll let you run with it, Mick. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's tired. You're still run its course, Neil. You're still reasonable. No yet. impact. No, but, but it's yet, like, it's fine. Yet clings. Don't let him go for it. Don't. Might have to good fucking um, there. Really so many, so many Look, good little so boys. Don't get week. defense. So good. Cut. Edit it out. Oh, that may very good. Edited. Is it time to turn it off, or are we going to fuck? What do you mean? No, 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 no. Fuck, mate. We're only we're only two and a half hours in. This is a five hour potty. We've got fucking Kevin in the shed. <laughs> nah, fucking. I think we will be, mate. Anyway, I was thinking about when we talked about before, like Palestine and the the use of language and um, the term. No, 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 we won't. I'm sort of circling back. The use of the so let's change another lane mm. on the superhighway. We talked about um, Palestine and that flaring up again. Something that's been of great interest to me is a few years ago, uh, terrorism pervaded everyone's fucking psyche, and I think that is one of the most destructive things that's happened to mainstream communities in. At generations, maybe even the modern era, is the idea of terrorism because it divided people by their skin, skin colour straight down the centre. And the thing that um, sort of lingers with that is it started to get a little bit tired. So after 2001, that was the, its peak. That was the campaign peak of terrorism. Is anyone that's brown potentially is a terrorism, uh, a, ter- a terrorist? That's even the right word. Um, and that's all a big problem, and then it bled into religion, and then we set up this huge, big, non-ending war. Now, the thing that um, I find interesting is that 
in this absolute blood feud that was never going to have an end, um, that was built off books that were written thousands of years ago and people would die at the feet of their God, sure, allegedly, is something stopped terrorism in its tracks. And I just can't put my finger on it and it seems like COVID. So although there's apparently millions, millions of people that were prepared to die for their God, killing an infidel, which is all white people, apparently, um, all folks that were prepared to die for that cause uh, suddenly got scared off by COVID. Now, I think we should all be quite cynical about that, but I wanted to sort of bring that back into the fore and um, put a bit of shit on the fact that in absence of terrorist threat or perceived terrorist threat, we're now coming up with a fucking completely dumb mainstream idea that uh, we should try and go and fight China. I'm just going to say right now, that pull, is the most fucking brilliant segue we have fucking I'm ever pull had the pin on this out podcast. Of that grenade. I'm going to pull the pin out of that grenade, tuck it under the desk, and it's up to you, blokes. <laughs> You're an idiot. I think, um, I think you've missed the point, Michael. Obviously, there's strategy involved in that because... If no, 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 that's right. It's all about the election cycle. So terrorism is about the election cycle. Black African gangs in Victoria so was all about the election gangs. cycle. So they're all scare tactics, scare tactics, and aren't they fucking effective? Like oh, so, re- effective. Uh, so effective because so um, you know European Australians are terrified that some person of a different skin colour is going to come and invade their country or whatever. If if the uh, Muslim religion had a way or, or wanted to invade Australia, they could do it tomorrow because there's 200 million, 250 million of them just north of the north over there, Indonesia, and they, and they could all come down here tomorrow and there's not a thing we could do about it. Ditto with the Chinese. So I think people need to have a little think about all those things as well. And, and one of the... Um, the main perpetrator of all of this is, generally speaking, a white liberal. And and uh, it makes me laugh because the current white liberal leader, of course, is part of the Hillsong Church, who, who who's a Christian. And if he has a look in the Bible, there's not a single white person in the whole of the Bible. No, no, no. They, well, apparently they can. If you've seen Jesus, like we've got, there's white Jesus with red hair, right? So... <laughs> No, a Korean Jesus with his Irish Jesus. So. Oh, it is, it is. It fucking just boggles yeah, your mind, doesn't it? And the worst part is is people it that works. you actually think are relatively intelligent and, and thinking, they're sucked in. And, and Chris, you've got some of them closer to you than maybe you'd want, but... Anyway, so the podcast is still going. How are those fucking snags looking? I'm, geez, I'm fucking... Big. Pretty good, but if we're going to have any chance of living through this night. I've got like the- so much more. This, like I'm just letting you know, there's at least another two no, hours left in this. Yeah, it's not happening. But anyway, if we're going to have any chance of winding up and living through to part B of the Kevin Harkins files, <laughs> we're going to have to wind up part A. No, so- no, 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 no. You can, you winding up. You can, you can wind it up. No, no, no. You can wind it up post-mortem. My, cor- my corner will be thrown in its towel. I can no, fucking I tell you. We haven't actually opened the episode, have we? Yeah, we, we did, have, like, we did. ages ago. Yeah. And this is going to be our longest fucking episode in history. <laughs> and we haven't even fucking scratched the surface, mate. <laughs> so relax, eh? 
Tell this story. You like to run. Yeah, but uh, this is like... The sense you struggle. Even if... Um... <laughs> ah! Oh, me. Fucking punching him lower ribs. But this is like... Um... Fucking punching I'm the ribs. I'm joking. It's fucking... It takes, it takes a certain amount, like... I'm joking. We've so developed funny. to a point with this potty where we feel comfortable actually having someone like you here, Kevin, where we can actually make this like... Fucking Kevin needs to tell his story because there's so much merit in it. Um, cassette player. I fucked your job. I'm gonna fuck your got, job we've, today. We've got Spotify, today. Can you talk into the mic or you sure? No. I reckon you can. <laughs> Here we go. Into the mic. If you can round up an old cassette player, I've got the a cassette. It might even have been my car. And. There was a guy that was a shop steward for us, and he was a really good shop steward, but he was also in a band. And he wrote this song called Union Proud. He asked me and he asked actually a couple of other people that were higher up than me to come along and be backing vocals to give it the union fucking thing. And they played this song, and and while it was pretty amateurish at the time, the words of it were actually quite good, I thought, and it had a good, what do you call it, tune and all that sort of stuff. So we recorded it and videoed it. And um, I've got the cassette somewhere, and the band was called In Between Worlds. I remember that, and it was um, Union Proud, and it was a good song. And and yeah. um, I'll try and find the tape for you, and then you can decide whether you like it or not. But if you have ever listened to the Concrete Gang, have you listened to the Concrete yeah, Gang? Yeah, yeah. Well, they're all that's that show has been on TV, on been on Radio Three CR for. I reckon forty years. I reckon. Yeah. No and shit. It's yeah, on radio. Yeah. Yeah. Three C Three hours community radio. radio yeah. Yeah. The ETU used to have a show on as well, but didn't go f- for many years. It got stopped. Got given up. There. Th- and you should listen to it because it comes up on Facebook too. The Concrete Gang theme song. Once you've heard that a couple of times, you can never get it out of your fucking head. It's a great song. Yeah. So maybe Sweet. you can use Union Proud because it's an electrician that wrote it and sings it. He's obviously a good lad if he's an electrician. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't remember his name now. His name was Craig. Craig the electrician. Wouldn't be hard to dig that up. Not these Wouldn't days. Wouldn't be hard. Oh, not with Neil's. And not with Neil's internet yeah. skills. You know. You're a musician, yeah. are you? Me. I'm a hack. <laughs> Full hack. If anyone's heard my. Uh, <laughs> Musicianship, it's full hack. Are we having something to eat? I've got 500 questions. I don't have 500 questions. I'm lying. I've got like one, two, three, four. I've got like about another four or five questions I want to ask Kevin. But just saying, fuck, this episode's been good. So. So, Clarky. Generally, uh, we don't come on this journey unaided. Uh, so, Kevin, um, I'm trying to fucking do a serious podcast, and this is the fucking shit that I've got to deal with. You can't soar like an eagle when you're surrounded by canaries. But anyway, um, yeah, like you don't – like these things just don't happen by accident. So uh, what I was going to ask before I was rudely interrupted with a ridiculous fucking segue was um, – when you consider about your journey, who were the um, probably the three most influential people uh, that helped you on your way? Not just as an organizer, but just like through life and helped guide you to where you ended up. That's a ripper question. Yeah, we do. We go deep, mate. Deep in the shed. Well, I know that full deep. I would have to say that I wouldn't say any individual because I would think that would be unfair. But the recharge team back in '95, each of them played a part. Um, Morris Graham was a fantastic mentor. He he was the president of the um, Vic branch for years to come, and um, was 
really, in some respects, the brains behind the union itself in an admin role and all the training and everything else that went on with it. So he was a terrific mentor. Um, Gavin Marshall, who's recently retired senator, was a fantastic influence. Um, smart, taught lots of things, taught me lots of things. Um, but all the um, people around at that time had had an influence. We all learned together, but we all learned off each other too. So I think as a group, all them people would be... Um, the person that probably taught me more about strategy and how to think about things and work things out and take a deep breath and all that would be Nicole, I reckon. So she and Nicole Wells. Yeah, yeah. And she's the smartest strategic thinker I've ever met. Like Dean was Dean's good, but she's better. So it's people, and it's not bias or anything else. So, so from that point of view, and from a political po- point of view, I knew nothing about politics, and she taught me all about. Yeah, fucking disgusting. <laughs> yeah, so so there's a couple of real big influences. Um, from a work point of view, I think that'd be it. You know, talking about yep. union point of view, I've met some really interesting characters. You got the Brian Boyds of the world, someone you'd never forget. He was a um, an old BLF organizer who became um, the secretary of um, the trades hall in Victoria. A lot of people tried to stop him, but he was always a good fella. There's been lots of organisers. Mirzy, you know, one of my best friends, always been supportive and was ne- is never scared to tell me when he thinks I'm doing the wrong thing. And to this day, I don't is know. He, I heard a rumour that he might be, like, um, raising one of your children. Just a rumour. I'm not sure if it's true or not. No, he's taking taking care of one of my young children, yes. <laughs> but in saying that, I could show you some photos of last Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> not, not last night, last Friday night, when it was where it was the other way around. Because <laughs> David's, I think David's Friday night is the release night. So, oh, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I said, yeah. I said, when his eyes closed, take a photo and send it to me. And he did. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. no, but you learn on the, the journey is a wonderful one, and you learn from everyone. You do. Some of the shop stewards have been fantastic. You know, um, Gary Laycock was fantastic. You know, um, just supportive all the time. Mm. You know, unwavering loyalty and support. So, you know, and it's yeah, something as an organizer, it's just worth its weight in gold. Just that support yeah. from the rank and file from the shop floor, because you do. Well, my personal journey, and I'm only halfway through my apprenticeship as an organizer. There's a lot of self doubt. Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? What do the members think? Getting that support from the shop floor, <laughs> it's fucking worth its weight in gold. Mm. I think the good thing about Melbourne too is at the ETU there's 20 organisers, at the CFMEU there's 50 organisers. Um, the AMW used, used to be one of the strongest unions in town when I was about. Unfortunately, that's not the case anymore. But um, they were great in um, the manufacturing area and there was a lot of good guys there that you learned stuff from. But you could you had plenty of mentor. You know, there's always people around you to support you and look after you and learn from. Yeah, ab- I'm absolutely. Only, I'm only 45. I've still got another 20 years left in me. Yep. It's important that it's um, you leave it in a better form absolutely. that you found it, essentially, or at least maintain. And uh, um, we've got some wins that we can get on the board, some low-hanging fruit that's just sitting there ready to be fucking picked. That's uh, another tangent that we won't go down just yet because we're only we're getting we're nearly three hours deep. We're only just scratch. We're only just we're only just scratching the surface, to be honest. <clears throat> and I want to pick. And I just want to just. We've got Kevin in here, so I just want to pick his brain to death. Um, no, we're just starting, mate. So the vultures are still circling. 
Hang on, gay Mick. The death bit hasn't happened because no. Kevin's still alive, but if you want to actually pick his brain to death. Clarky, back to you. What, what would you say um, would be one of the most common myths about organising and probably one of the myths about yourself that you'd like to debunk? <coughs> <laughs> that, it's, it's Mick laughing because that's, that's funny and that's going to become really obvious in a minute. But it's a fucking yeah. great question. It's a great question, but so many it. good questions. That is one of the the most fucking loaded questions in the world. Not ever. even loaded, ever, it's Kev. N- there's nothing loaded about that it's, whatsoever, Kevin. I don't know. I'll I'll preface it. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> Kev has had his character assassinated so fucking badly in the mainstream that he could literally cure fucking cancer and find a fucking absolutely un. Tappable resource to feed hungry kids. COVID. Yeah, he could fix COVID. And he could go, Kevin Arkin see that, and they go, oh, that fucking union thug tried to fucking kill kids. That's So I'm just talking about the base we're coming from here. Yeah, but, just putting it in perspective. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> so just, yeah. Before we go down that rabbit hole, um, Kev, there you go. There's a loaded run for you, mate. No, but just, just before we go down there, like... Um, and Mick, you've said this before on site, and Kevin's a much maligned figure. Um, I don't get it. No one that I've ever fucking met that says, oh, Kevin Arkins X, Y, and Z has ever fucking handed back any of the wins that Kevin has won for them. Ever. Nothing. They've all accepted all the wins. Like I said at the start of the fucking podcast, millions of fucking dollars. Like, I'm not talking about pocket change. Kevin has put fucking millions of dollars in workers' pockets, but for whatever reason, whether it's your organising style or whatever, you're abrasive or whatever it is, Kevin, I'm not sure. Um, um, <laughs> I think the mercury uh, might have had a bit to do with uh, oh, Kevin's fucking dirty. Whatever. Like, the, the people that are the naysayers, none of them that I come across have ever gone, I'm so out, outraged by what Kevin Harkins has done, I'm going to give all these wins back to my boss. That's never fucking happened. No, funny. So though, I just thought it would be good to give Kevin an opportunity to say, um, from You're on this podcast. On this potty, because it's fucking, it's a big deal, this potty. Um, <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on it? Like common, you know, like misconceptions and all the rest of it. So over to you, Kevin. Fucking let's go and slaughter Kevin, some but, people. Uh, yeah, no, I, um, I, I'm, not, I'm a realist. I know that's the case. It used to upset me a lot, especially when the kids were little and they were going to school and people were talking to them about your dad being in the paper because he'd been fined for this or fined for that or fined for whatever. But one of the interesting things about um, that I – because you've got to think about it in your own head to, to straighten yourself up, otherwise it will have a bad effect on your mental health. And um, I remember standing up in front of the electricians in 2005 when down at Parliament House Square after we'd make a decision to take that uh, action, which was a first – and I had my head shaved at the time. And the front page of the Mercury the next day was me standing up there with my head shaved, which was pretty unfortunate because I'd never seen a closer resemblance to someone from Romper Stomper in my life. <laughs> but it was funny because I you thought about that. at the time? No, or? no, the reason I had my head shaved because it was a fundraiser. Oh, yeah. And I raised um, $5,000 to provide training um, to women in East Timor to, for literacy. And numeracy, or oh, it was literacy mainly, and one of the <laughs> well, one of the biggest donors to that was actually Aurora. They donated a thousand bucks to watch me get me fucking head shaved. So there you go. <laughs> but um, so you, but you need to don't be um, embarrassed. 
like, and don't put yourself in a position to be embarrassed about what you do. I don't regret one thing I've done as far as um, my union career. Um, that stoppage, I took them guys out on strike. They got a huge pay rise out of it, um, and it cost me my political career. I'd do the same thing again tomorrow because my responsibility was to look after those members. And in hindsight, maybe it was all for the best. I don't know. Because I think if I would have got elected to Parliament, I don't think I would have been able to manage to cope with it. No, and how effective could you have been? This is what we constantly talk about this. Well, potentially, but you never know. Like, you can be hamstrung pretty quickly in Parliament, can't yeah, you? No, again, it depends on the... You know, it's all about strategy and the way you work things. And I had, I had a couple of people that were already on my side and were looking forward to my arrival. Yep. And because... With your, sometimes your reputation can be harmful, but sometimes it can be effective as well. Yeah. So, um, but that's the reason Kevin Rudd knocked me off because I was a, a renegade union organizer. But I don't apologise for that. That's how, as an effective official, if you've got an effective union official, it is only natural that the Liberal Party and their and their the allies, yeah, yeah. allies, yeah, especially the, the yep. Australian newspaper, a bloke on the Australian newspaper. People like that are going to attack you because that's what the instructions they're given. So if you're not making bad publicity and getting called names, you clearly you're not doing your job well enough if mm. you're a union organiser. So to all you organisers out there that are not getting beat up in the press, pull your finger out. Yeah, <laughs> and ask yourself why not. Yeah, why yeah. Not, you know? yeah, fuck yeah. Brutal. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it is, it is fucking true. And the one wonders what would have happened if... Kev had have been ahead of his time and entered the Senate as yeah and entered Parliament as with that sort of Jackie Lambie type directness which everyone sort of two decades later started to get excited about imagine what would have happened if that started to boil at the base of the ALP you know what could have become rather than this fucking centrist shit house party right okay yeah the other thing, the other thing um, from a political point of view that made me very proud, so it was a little payback, if you like, a little payback, was the Australian Recreational Fishing Party. So that was a fantastic idea, actually, and um, got approached by a group of people that were concerned about a super trawler. I love running community campaigns. I fucking love it. So much fun. And being asked by one of them, we're in strife. Can you help us? Yeah, no worries. This is what we should do, right? Give me a week to think about it. This is what I'd done. And that I said, let's form a political party. Oh, that can't happen. Uh, too fucking right, it can. So we had we had we had seven hundred financial members, paying members of the Australian Recreational Fishing Party, and we, as you know, we took it to um, an election. We ran three candidates, and all we said to the two main political parties, because the Greens didn't matter in this circumstance, whoever gives us the best position on recreational fishing will get our preferences. That's all we said. And um, there was a bit of negotiation because between myself and, and Bill Shorten, who I'm friends with, I used to work with him as a yeah. union official, um, back and forwards. And to be honest, his starting point wasn't that flash either. But the Liberals wouldn't talk to us. We negotiated what was a really good outcome which stopped the super trawler and effectively still has to this day. We gave our preferences to the three the three Labor members in Braddon, Bass and Lyons and the Recreational Fishing Party votes knocked them three fucking people off. So got rid of three libs. So that was fantastic. Unfortunately, because the conversations were between the National Labor Party and the National Secretariat and Shorten himself and 
and and basically me and the little group that we had running the joint. Um, the local Labor Party got the shits because they didn't get told what was going on, but that's not my fucking no, issue. No, of course not. But they've yeah. banned me from membership for five years. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't know how many I've got to go, but even if I get an offer, I'm not sure I want to fucking rejoin anyway. It's um, It's a strange fucking... Space to occupy, yeah. Even even in our recent affiliation, it's been bizarre and on some levels. But the potential's always there. You know what I mean? If you get good fucking candidates, then we've got. At the end of the day, all our licensing and stuff is done through state politics. So if we're not, yeah, I think Hodgman has something to do with um, wiping. If <laughs> mm. yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. All out. She understands hair, Clark, amongst other things. And a range of other things. <laughs> Do we need to talk about that? Prof, there's a few quirks to that story that probably wouldn't be... No, no, no. Do you want to have a chat about that or not? It's pretty fucking big. Um, we've just clocked over three hours, so let's keep going. Um, so um, there was a point in time, Kev, where... And I was only a young tacker, so I can't remember the exact details... But the electricity generator, did distributor, retailer in Tassie was all one company called Hydro. And, and I think someone came up with the idea of let's cut all this shit up. Um, we'll have the generator, we'll have the distributor, we'll have the retailer and we'll start trying to sell bits and pieces of it, bits and pieces of it off, trying to privatise it at some stage and... I'm pretty sure a government lost an election on that issue. Is that right? Or I don't know. I don't know about lost an election, but they they separated the segregation, which was hydro generation, Aurora poles and wires, and Trans M was basically the HV stuff. So, um, but we had a Labor um, Labor minister at the time that were, that's talking about privatisation of Aurora. So they're the ones that are, everyone wants the poles and wires. No one wants the generators, and they wouldn't sell it anyway. I don't think. And so it became a little bit of a battle and I was the secretary of the ETU and and it wasn't clear to me at the time what we were going to do to try and stop that. And then someone came up with a brilliant idea about stack, branch stacking within the Labor Party. So <laughs> Allegedly. Alleged, no, no, it was no allegedly about oh, it. Fuck, right so we, no, no, I, I told, no, no. Well, how can you argue about a worker joining yeah. the ALP? So I went yep. out there and told all the Aurora blokes, we went round held depot meetings and they all joined the Labor Party. Uh, it was about 170, I'm sure, guys within about a week and a half. And then we set up branches and that had a massive effect because I remember Nick Sherry, who was a senator at the time, because we had branches in his area, we actually had control over his pre-selection. So he, he went into meltdown and started all the political shenanigans that go on around the place, including the fact that it was an allegation made that the union had paid everyone's union dues. And I thought at the time that, it wasn't against the rules to do that. And because the guys were paying us fees, if we wanted to use some of those fees and they'd signed the forms, I didn't see a problem with it. I didn't. Mm. So they all joined the ALP. We set up branches. We had our own branch presidents and secretaries and they would minutes and we used to go around and have meetings with them. And at the end of the day, the ETU rank and file membership had a fair bit of sway within local with, politics. Within local politics, yeah. 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 So yeah. we knocked off the. We, but they got us back in the end because Brian Green, it was. I'll never forgive him for this. He he put in place a contracting a model. So what they wanted to do was contract everything out, all the line workers, and it's biting biting them big time on the ass now. Huge. 
he's responsible. Brian Green, that used to be the shop steward at the Bernie paper mill that fought against outsourcing. Brian Green was yeah, the shop steward. Yeah, yeah. Right. allowed um, AMW allowed uh, about three hundred of our members to basically be made redundant. And, you know, a lot of them were older guys, so they grabbed it and ran. Mm. And, but they turned up the next day working for Zinfra, which, is, which wasn't Zinfra at the time. I can't remember what they were called. But they turned up working for the contractor the next day on better money. So from that point of view, but he, dis, he disassembled the you structures, know, the, structures yeah, of the yeah, organisation. So. And he's a Labor fucking politician. Yeah. So mm. anyway, I never let him forget it. And every opportunity I'd after that, slag him on the radio or do whatever I did. <laughs> <laughs> I managed to have a, we were supposed to have a quiet beer at the pub to talk about the CUB dispute and um, turn around and Kev's fucking slapped this bloke at the Waratah. And, <laughs> and it was a beautiful thing. No, it wasn't physically. Uh, Verbally with a great deal of effort. Oh, that's fucking Great. At Aurora, they were all my mates. We, they were my friends. I knew half their fucking. When I used to go travelling up north, Bruce Glenn, I used to go and stay at his house and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, they'd sacked your mates. So I was pretty pissed off about it. Mm, fucking reckoned. And we lost fucking three hundred members. Which is not, it's nothing to sneeze at down here. Oh, no. Huge. Yeah. If um, Ooh, those you're eyes. in my shoes, Kevin. And <laughs> you you were asking the questions. What what's a question that you'd ask yourself that I haven't actually asked? That's he's got that big question. Are you sure you're not like um what? I don't oh, know. Mate, like this is a, Ray this Martin is, in, mate, in this is, ring this is a, or fucking I'm telling you, we don't fuck around in the shed. Mike um, We're like I'm at that? least I reckon I'm probably six beers deep. Yeah. We're going deep. Yeah, this yeah, is what yeah, we do in the shed. That's a good question. Yeah, you might ask me shed, you might ask me. Did I make the right career choice? Ah. Yeah, and From can, like electrician or organiser? Or? No, no. When I was on a building site in Melbourne, it was called the Stock Exchange. It's 530 Collins Street. A lot of people would know that. It was a big job, big job. And um, the actual, no relation, but the guy that was running the job was called John Holland. That was his name. And um, <laughs> oh, no, Yeah, no, he's fucking... just an individual, not the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't remember. Oh, I do remember. The shop steward was a bloke called Alan Mulvina who ended up working for the ETM Victoria. Fantastic bloke. Now works for WorkSafe or whatever they're called. And he resigned as a steward. And I put my hand up for it because that's what you do. And a day after that, the boss came to me and said, oh, you put yourself up as a shop steward. I was going to ask you to be one of the foremen on the job. We had two foremen and one of them had left because he said I was going to ask you to take the foreman's job. And I said, oh, well, if you'd asked me two days ago, it might have been a thing, but now it's fucking not. So I've made the decision. I'm not going to go back in front of a meeting of the men now and tell them, sorry, I've got a job as a foreman, so fuck you. <laughs> so, and that was... That was where it started. Yeah, right. Yeah. But it could have gone one way or the other. No, it could have gone one way. If he'd asked me two days before, do you want to be the foreman? I probably would have said yes. Yeah. But, you know, but I still would have done, I wouldn't have done anything different, I don't think. I still would have been. The yeah. mind the mind boggles. Yeah. That company I was working for at the time, Melko Milek, huge um, company from WA, went broke on that site. Um, went broke everywhere. They had every big job in Melbourne and they went broke. And um, I remember I rang the secretary of the union up at the time, who was the one we eventually got rid of, Gary Main, his name was, and he said, like, there was, like, 400 electricians, big company, you'll be right, mate, you know what you're doing. (laughs) 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 And uh, how how old was I? I was... uh, Oh, 23 or something. I go, are you fucking for real? <laughs> so, so I remember I went up to the company headquarters and the receiver was there. And um, he goes, oh, well, um, we're not making any of you redundant. We've got no money to pay your leave and all the rest of it. We want you to go back to work. 
And I said, let me think about that for a minute, right? And I said, get fucked. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, what do you mean? It didn't, didn't sound like a minute. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I said, why would we want to fucking work for you? You just, you got no fucking money and um, you can get fucked. You got all these jobs to build, right? He's going, no, no, don't, don't do it. And, I, and he goes, he goes, give us a minute, right? So I went out of the room. You know, they're all fucking sitting there, all the fucking yeah. suits. Yeah. And they go, oh, we want want all the blokes to stay with us and we want to finish all the jobs. I said, well, you better find the money for their fucking wages and their fucking annual leave and everything else. But the interesting thing was, I, so all the, all the guys outside, so I went and told them what was going on. And the plan was in place then to put to work one job at a time. So work that job, send it back. Work that job, send it back. And pay. And I said, I want all the blokes' money paid out. So no one's. There's no fucking accrued entitlements. Yep. You give everyone their dough, and it's a fresh start. So each individual can make a decision about whether they want to keep going or they fuck off and work yeah, somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. And so they agreed. But I remember <laughs> we went back to the job the next day. And I'm not joking, it was like, you, you see the ants walking up the fucking hill before it's going to run, <laughs> with drills and saws and ladders and wheelbarrows. I don't th- and they came down and they're going, oh, you got to build those. We've got no fucking tools to work. <laughs> and if you, look in, if you look in the dictionary, the, um, a visual dictionary at Justice, you'll see workers under administration walking out with tools. Because yeah, they've, been been there. They've, been, they've been robbed. But I've got to tell you... I did, Kevin. Not on the same scale, but there is not so, too many more confronting things than dealing with the liquidation of a company. But I can tell you one of the more satisfying things amongst the wreckage and workers getting fucking all the doubt and fear and uh, families and workers and all that is watching a liquidator in their fucking $5,000 suit fucking squirm and roll on the ground and suck their thumb when, <laughs> when you batter them because the last thing they're expecting is a fight back from the workers. So when you present that, it is a fucking beautiful thing. And that's um, been one of the privileges of my career. Yeah, that's right. Oh, everything should continue as normal. Everyone, they're, they're lucky to have a job. And you go, have a look down the driveway, mate. Do you reckon they look lucky to have a job? And it looks like a fucking bomb's gone off. It's just, they're back to their side and back doors of vans up and um, blokes are realising that if they're not going to get their last two weeks' pay, they're going to have to send it on tra- way. They're going to have to send it on Gumtree somehow. And that's in, that's, that's a, a nine-ton t- ton you. No, <laughs> and I had an extension later hanging on. <laughs> <laughs> Driving around central Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> and you're still behind. Look, we we call the liquidators vultures, but um, there was not much left. The bones were licked clean by the time the the um, the workers workers got their justice. Anyway, oh mate, it's common. But the lies of a, a, indi- a whole industry that their job is somehow to come into a, a court order to come into a business that's fucked. Everyone knows it's fucked. Um, they're charging six hundred bucks an hour to. To tell the court that they're fucked, um, they're not going to recover, and the workers are somehow asked to say you should continue trading to get some payment to creditors who are never going to be the workers because under Australian law, worker entitlements are called unsecured creditors. So um, banks, insurance companies, wholesalers, things like this have called to any money under a liquidated company, and workers do not. Yeah. So. Anyway, don't, you can't wish it on your worst enemy to see a worker caught up in liquidation, but by fuck, once the dust settles and the workers know their power, you've never seen anything like it. 
you're getting a bit long in the tooth, let's be honest. How much has organising and industrial relations changed from when you first became an organiser to where we find ourselves now with potentially uh, Australia? Budinsky, we've got Budinsky. It's 80 years of history. How the fuck are you going to potentially a fucking potty? With Australia having the most oppressive workplace laws in the developed world. Yeah, well, they have now, but the most impressive, uh, most oppressive workplace laws only really exist in the construction industry, right? The rest of the movement could probably do, or probably don't suffer the same penalties. Well, they don't, do they? They don't suffer the same penalties as the construction industry. But when I started as an organiser, don't face the same risk. No, there's not the same risk, or not the same because it has a it has an impact on you mentally. No doubt, as an organiser. PTSD has been something that people suggested to me I might be suffering from. But, you know, maybe, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder about it. Oh, yeah, but but the um, – so when I started, no right of entry issues. You'd jack a job up in the blink of an eye. If there was something going on, you'd round all the blokes up and put them in the shed. If it was a big enough issue, you'd send them home. Generally speaking, depending on the what was going on, sometimes you'd seek payment for the stoppage, sometimes you wouldn't. But there was no – sort of restrictions on what you could do these days of course we've got an example at the moment in hobart concrete company hasn't paid superannuation for over 12 months for 30 blokes so you know it's a real big heap of money we all know super at the moment's going okay up until a week ago it wasn't anyway but it's bouncing around a bit but it's going okay so each week that goes by is compounding that issue now once upon a time we would have stopped those jobs made the bill to pay for all the superannuation, pissed that company off and told him to get someone else on the site to finish it. He would have picked the blokes up, they would have continued to finish that job or they could have left and gone and worked for someone else. It would have been their choice. If I did that today, I should imagine the fines for me personally and for the union be horrendous. Mm. So you can't do it. But the government, the company that don't care and no one polices it. So the ABCC is not interested at all in safety or compliance or making sure people get paid properly. None of that is the only thing they're interested in is union bashing. And they were um, actually out on a site in the north of Hobart recently. And even though the issue was a plastering company had stopped paying the EBA rates for about six months, we recovered $45,000 for the employees and they didn't care. They were, and the foreman on the job said, "I mentioned that to them, and they weren't interested. All they wanted to know was when you were here and who were you here with, and yeah, right of entry stuff." Oh, fair Effectively, in Tasmania, the ABC's budget, which is fucking extensive, not the, a, not the ABC, ABCC. News. Did I say ABC? Yeah. yeah. A, oh, not the auntie. ABCC. <laughs> um, the ABCC's budget in Tasmania extends practically to two people. So it's a federal police task force designed to de-unionise construction by targeting two individuals. One's Richie Hassett, the other one's Kevin Harkins. And that's the fucking reality. So Kev skirted around the issues a little bit, um, but that's how it basically works, and that is tens of millions of dollars a year to target two people that are effectively representing workers, picking up Tassie from being the worst, the most dangerous state to work in, in construction, and also the lowest paid place, and probably one of the worst places for compliance of super and things, other things you speak mm. of, Kev. We, we get letters, our organisation gets letters, but they're really, they're fishing expeditions because they're trying to kick the heads off CFMEU officials, and that's just the fucking, how it rolls.
and it's absolutely it's got nothing to do as kev says you got it's supposed to be it was celebrated as the iron fist of returning the rule of law to construction the safety's law contractual obligations of subbies and builders a law so stuff that we couldn't give a fuck about apparently that's law um all this sort of thing and it's they never ever touch it it's all about when was the cfmu on this job last that's all they're interested in i'm going home Going home. Can't go home yet, Kevin. We haven't wrapped We haven't wrapped well, things well, you'll up. You'll be back. You'll, you'll be back. It's come back. Braz. No, it's fine. I'm not sure what's going on there, Neil, to be it's honest. Bathroom it's, you've got. Yeah. It's going. We're three hours and 20 minutes yeah. in. Maybe time to wrap up episode 40. Yeah, no, wrap her up, Clarky. Wrap it's her up. Final, it's final, episode 40 and 41 and 42. Closing it's, comments. Closing it's comments. Been, um, it's been an absolute privilege to have Kevin in the shed. Glad that you've called in um, to have a chat. It's like I said, um, you're the organiser that signed me up as an apprentice, signed Mick up. We've gone on to do bigger and better things. Um, and without your support in Tassie for the union movement, there's no doubt that it'd be a lot worse off than where we are at the moment. We've got a good foundation to move things forward. And it took a lot of hard work and a lot of heartache. Back like when you mentioned from 2005, moving forward and all the things that you've done. So from just me personally, I'd like to say thank you very much um, for making sure that my workplace when I was on the tools was a better place to be. That's probably about it for me. Signing off from episode 40. I'll throw it over to you, Blake, so you can have a bit of a chat. It's uh, absolutely a fact that taking a legal industrial action um, as a first-year apprentice changed my whole life and has changed my family's <laughs> life. That is, if it's not, if that's not sugar-coated enough, there you go. But anyway, so um, Kev's influence showing us the way in Tassie and uh, learning to think big and having a scrap for it has changed not only, as I said, my life, but thousands of Tasmanians lives and although he'll fucking hate every second of this and he's sitting next to me and he'll be like fucking shut up cunt um, that's the reality he did pay the ultimate price in that he could have been imagine someone like Kev and we're only at part A and we'll get to about part F over time blowing with fucking Tory dickheads in Parliament about issues that affect working people. Would have been a beautiful thing. Got chopped off by the party and that's all fucking very sad, but we're still privileged and I'm pretty wrapped that we've been able to capture a bit of his history tonight because the worst thing that can happen is um, these stalwarts of the movement only tell their story to a few mates um, because no one else is prepared to listen. So I'm really fucking chuffed that over the journey, hopefully we can map out a bit more of this and we'll get the full full version. And, <laughs> and enough, Kev said enough, so that means he's uncomfortable. So fucking sucked in, Kev. You deserve every fucking bit of it and good on you, mate. Neil. Neil. Yeah, no, good. It's, well, the, the fact, the, the whole point of... Um, Getting Kev here tonight is probably something that will be a legacy for multiple episodes going forward and the importance of actually bringing in people who have had it, given a fuck and had a crack. And the harsh reality is that um, every single worker is capable of that. It's just that, unfortunately, we leave it up to one or two individuals to, bury, to carry the load. Um, it's a burden that shouldn't be worn by one person or two people or three people. It should be worn by the whole fucking workforce and from the whole shop floor if we do that we win every fucking single day so at the end of the day um thanks kev 
for coming along. Some amazing stories, um, 100%. And, um, look, fucking, you're welcome back in the shed any day of the week, mate. Yeah, come, come on board. Thanks for the opportunity to share a few stories with you. <laughs> no one else cares. <laughs> <laughs> mate, we're a big deal. We've got, like, at least, like, 20 people that listen to this potty, so... <laughs> Tell my sons when it's on. That's it. That's it. No worries. Ah, very good. Thanks, Kev. Awesome. Shut it. Shut it. Wrap her up, Chairman. That's it. The end. Chop. The end. And music. And we'll do outro music. As we will. You're off. Thank you, Kevin. Yeah, yeah. no, it's terrific, mate. Yeah. Thanks, mate. See you later. Yeah. Take Take care, Kev. All right. (laughs) See you next Thursday. Speakers for speakers against If we fight the good fight, we're gonna win As mammals, as humans, we will inherit the earth The rich would be nothing without the poor Good job.